This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Every football coach in America has given a speech in the locker room before a game that is designed to fire their team up. Dan Lanning did that against Colorado on Saturday at Autzen Stadium. I don't know if a speech helped win the but it became the story during the game. During Oregon's blowout of Colorado, Dan Lanning's pregame speech went viral, and I know why it went viral. It's the kind of access that people crave. It's the behind-the-scenes look. Show us how the sausage is made. Here's the coach. He's in his locker room. He's talking to his team. Of course, the hype train was in town. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and Otto at the stadium as well. Oregon went on to boat race Colorado football game. But the discussion after the game has largely been about that speech. It's been about race. It's been about whether or not people are out to get Deion Sanders in the Colorado football program. Here's Dan Lanning's speech. I want to give it to you, first of all, right off the top of the show. If you didn't catch it, he's in the locker room. He's got his players surrounding him. And there's some irony here, right? Oregon football, uniforms, locker rooms, color-changing cleats. Here's Dan Lanning talking about substance over flash. Rooted in substance. Not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet! Right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks. We're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't going to be played in Hollywood. It's going to be played on the grass. Right? It's going to be played on the grass. Let's go. And Oregon went out and just dominated Colorado from go. Opening kickoff, go down the field, 70-plus yard drive. They don't even get... Uh, in a uh, in a situation that's even dicey on that opening drive, they score a touchdown. They get a subsequent second touchdown. Their third drive, they uh, they decide they're gonna you know fake a punt to, and they do. They you know they just outclassed, outcoached, outplayed Colorado in every way. It was a blowout in the biggest sense. But the aftermath of the game surprised me a little bit. There was less talk about the dominance of Oregon and more talk about race. Was it a racially charged speech? I didn't see it that way. Was uh, was America out to get the Colorado football team? If you got journalists, I went to the post-game news conference where Coach Sanders was giving his post-game address. I thought he handled it you know, very well, talking about getting beat in every phase of the game. It was a speech like a lot of speeches that I hear coaches give after games. But the commentary in the wake of it, Mike Freeman writing in USA Today, that Colorado football is black America's team. Skip Bayless and Keyshawn Johnson on television today sort of uh, calling out Dan Lanning and the Oregon football program. Do they go too far with this? Uh, Skip Bayless talking about Dan Lanning here. 
the Colorado kids were scratching up the, the big O in the middle of the field. But given this social media age we live in, I'm pretty sure they, get, they were made aware of it before yeah. the game. All right, I have tried to tell you guys for two weeks, there is a deep-rooted sort of a venomous vengeance that is starting to manifest itself against Dion among white coaches, and, and I'm not going to say they're all white because we saw what Jay Norvell did just two weeks ago, yeah, you, right? You, you, you're right. Okay? You're it's right. it's deep-rooted and seeded because Dion didn't pay any dues that they all had to pay. Correct. Correct. He's simply mm -hmm. the greatest athlete who ever played, and he has shattered the mold, as we have talked right. and talked right. about, because that's who he is. He is one of the greatest talkers in the history of sports. He is as entertaining an interview as there is in all of sports as we speak. He is playing to his strengths. He is in the midst of the greatest turnaround in college football history, doing it his way. Not Dan Lanning's way, but Dan Lanning, that, that was venomous vengeance. That was real. I don't think he was playing just for clicks. I think he knew exactly where he was going, and he was speaking from his heart of hearts. He says, we are rooted in substance, and they are all about flash. That is not true. They have been well-coached. They did not play well-coached football on Saturday. But the problem was, he did run with it, and it worked because Colorado got buzzsawed right in half from the opening kickoff because Oregon comes out and Oregon. goes 72 yards in 10 plays and doesn't even go to third down one time. Right. And all of a sudden, it's 7 to nothing. And all of a sudden, Shadur can't doesn't have time to breathe, and he goes three and out in, in about one minute of clock time, and all of a sudden, here they come again. And it gets to be a third and five play at the seven, and they stop them, and then if we could see what happened, there's a dumb personal foul committed yeah. that kept it from being a 10 to nothing game. Oh, we, I'm sorry, our tape just fouled up, but if you remember the play, right. a kid just runs in at the end of the play, slams into an Oregon kid in the back, and it's just, it's just silly. You just can't do it, and all of a sudden, they score. And what happened? Dan Lanning said, I'm going to humiliate you, Deion Sanders. I'm going to expose you. I'm going to go for two. It's 13 to nothing. It could have been 14. You just kicked the point. Is there any reason? Did you miss the point on seven to nothing? No, you didn't. You're going for two to, to just rub their noses in it. I want to talk, speak to that in a couple of different ways. Like, I do think Deion Sanders is playing to his strength when he is talking, when he is recruiting, when he is being the face of the franchise. It, it is what he does well. He is a CEO in the same way that Bobby Bowden was a CEO of the Florida State football program. Where do you think Deion Sanders learned this? He's not the first to become sort of, hey, I'm going to do the recruiting. I'm going to be the face of the franchise. I'm going to hire great position coaches, and then we're going to go out and we're going to see what we can do. He didn't invent this game is what I'm saying. Dan Lanning didn't invent the pregame hype speech game either. You, every coach in America gives that same speech in the locker room. There aren't cameras there. I think it was great that we all got to see Dan Lanning in his element. I think he's probably a little embarrassed by some of the, you know, the vein bulging in his neck and the talk about hype and flash while his players are wearing color-changing cleats and fancy uniform combinations. Like it's everything Oregon ever got accused of. But I don't blame him for making that argument. He's supposed to speak from his heart in the same way that Deion Sanders spoke from his heart all week long and all two all season long. This is what co good coaches do. They talk to, from their hearts. They're authentic. I don't think there was anything extra there 
as it pertains to wanting to embarrass Deion Sanders on Saturday. I just think Oregon was better. And if you look back, if you care to do the research and look back just a week, if you look back two weeks at the Texas Tech game, Oregon went for two on their second touchdown in that game as well. This isn't like Dan Lanning was trying to embarrass Colorado and Deion Sanders. Oregon was just playing better. Oregon was better in every phase of the game. Offense, defense, special teams. Hell, if you position by position, I think you can make an argument that Oregon was better at about 18 of the 22 positions on the field. After the game, Deion Sanders says, I need about seven or eight dogs. He knows he's short. It's the same conversation that Oregon was having in the wake of the Georgia blowout loss at the beginning of last season. Had the same feel to me. You know, remember when Kirby Smart was on that other sideline in the post-game news conference saying, I've got better players than Dan Lanning. He doesn't have the guys. I think Dan Lanning could have said the same thing about Colorado on Saturday. I think a lot of people are attaching extra emotion, extra feeling to this game. But I do think that, you know, the feeling and the atmosphere around the Colorado program, you know, Coach Prime has brought a lot of pride to that program. He, ha- he speaks for a lot of people when he talks about, you know, the transfer portal and the opportunity for kids to showcase themselves. And I think there's a lot of value and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of redemption in, in authenticity in what he is saying. But I don't for a second think that this was about anything more than Oregon wanting to show to college football and to 7, 8, 9 million viewers, whoever would tune in, and to all the recruits that they invited to the stadium, that they were the better football program. And yet, here we go, Monday morning, what is it? It's Keyshawn Johnson, it's uh, Skip Bayless, and it's a lot of people wanting to make it about things that it isn't. So I spoke to somebody in the coaching fraternity right after the game. And they know some people that coach at Oregon. And they was telling me, they said, man, I've never heard from another assistant coach of how much information was being given to that staff Uh about, no, I'm just, I'm being real with it, about game planning against Colorado so they can beat them. That everybody was stacked. They was stacking. That, that, that's the reality of it. I ain't making this up. No. I ain't gonna disclose no names, but y'all know who I'm talking it, about it, if you watch it. Look, I think this happens in college football at week to week with a variety of programs. I told you in the summer that I felt that there were some Pac-12 teams that didn't like the way that Colorado was coming into the league, the recruiting noise that Colorado was making, and they didn't like the hype that was being associated and drummed up at Colorado. Uh, thought that the Buffaloes were going to be in for a rude awakening. And I told you that I thought Oregon and USC and Utah and some others would be eager to put points on Colorado. Now, I don't think that has to do with anything more than recruiting. But I want to hear from you. 503-417-7575. You tell me what you think it's about. But I'll say this about Oregon's win over Colorado. Pre-game speech by Dan Lanning was a fantastic glimpse into the locker room in a pre-game. But... I'm not, I'm not foolish enough to think that that's not happening inside every locker room every Saturday or Thursday or Friday or whenever they're playing games across the country in college football. Everybody's got a coach who's going to give a speech saying it's about us, 
Look at them. They're about flash. That's what happens. If you can peek into a locker room, get a glimpse into a locker room, you're going to see that week in and week out throughout college football. In fact, I would venture to say that same conversation has been used against Oregon over the years. They're about flash. We're about substance. I love that we got a chance to see it, but I don't like that so much is being made of it and so much is being twisted to fit narratives that just don't exist. Oregon wasn't out to get Colorado any more than it's out to get Washington, Oregon State, or USC, or Utah in a giving season. It viewed Colorado as an enemy. It views, it views Colorado as a threat, especially in the recruiting world. So if you're Dan Lanning, of course you're looking across the sideline, wanting to put it on Colorado in every way that you can, because you think you got better players, and there's a lot of recruits at stake. It was a big, big game for Oregon, and a statement win for the Ducks over a Colorado program that has a lot to be proud of in this short season. It's a hell of a turnaround going from 111 1-11 to a reputable, you know, 8 or 9 million people tuning in to watch your football games. It's a hell of a thing that Coach Prime has already created, and it's already a victory this season. But let's not turn this into something that it really isn't. It's two college football programs, both competing for a lot of the same recruits, playing each other on a Saturday in a packed stadium in front of a big national TV audience. Why can't we just let it be a football game? I want your phone calls, 503-417-7575. I want to go out to the phone lines now. Let's grab one. Uh, let's grab Roy in Portland. Roy, welcome to the conversation. Hey, welcome, John. I, I mean, thank you, John. Listen, John. You bet. Man. <laughs> I was ready to get some. I was trying to look for some shoulder pass and helmets out when I heard that speech, man. He had me getting ready to. Dan Lady had me wanting to run through a brick wall. My goodness, that was a good, good preach. Listen, Dan Lady not doing nothing. I can, Mario Cristobal would have gave the same speech. Uh, uh, Kirby Smart. And uh, have you heard Kirby Smart or uh, uh, Nick Saban give a speech before pregame? They would have said the same thing. That's the SEC style. I loved every minute of it. But I told you, John, last week. What did I say last week? I said it was a weird racial. Did not say that last week. I said I called it and said it was a weird racial vibe going on with the black versus white with this Colorado Dion. I'm telling you, I know Colorado fans. Colorado fans are great people. They're good people. They have realistic respect. But these are not Colorado fans. These are Dion fans that don't know anything about college football. They don't know anything about Colorado. They never watched the Colorado game. Only thing they know is Dion, and that, that and and that, and that that's what it's going to. You have people attacking Jay Norville. I, John, I heard people calling Jay Norville racist. They didn't even know Jay Norville was black, so they don't know anything about, about college football. Any if you want to say anything negative about Dion, you're going to be accused of being something that's not have nothing to do with the game. Dan Lanning, and, and, and I want to apologize to Dan Lanning because when he first got the Oregon job, I had people from Georgia that I know, people uh, in the program. They said Dan Lanning is a great coach. He, I was like, oh, no, it was probably Kirby and, you know, Will Muschamp. They said no. Dan Lanning was designing those defenses. Dan Lanning was, 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 uh, was coaching those guys up. And I want to apologize to Dan Lanning because he's a great young coach, and Oregon made the right hire. Dan Lane, and you know, I, I, you know the thing is too, John. Uh, or uh, the Pac-12 totally flipped their coaches from from the top to bottom from like 2018 to now. I will argue they got the best coaches in college football, better than the SEC, better than the Big Ten. 
and somebody is going to win. My, 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 I think University of Washington is actually going to win the national championship. But Oregon and Washington going to the playoffs. They're better than any team in it. I, I would argue Washington is better than Georgia, and I hate to say it. Wow. Those, te- those teams are going – Oregon and Washington, mark my words, are going to the playoffs. And they will beat any pack. They will beat – I, I wouldn't even think Oregon can beat Georgia now. Georgia is not that good this year. So, I mean, you know, my hat's off to Dan Lanning. I'm tired of everybody coming in with this, like, sort of racial, like, Dion and – the yeah. black and well, one more thing for all the people talking about they're going against Dion because he's a black coach and all this. Where's your support for James Franklin? James right. Franklin is a black coach. He's one of the greatest coach, uh, best coaches in college football. I don't see you supporting James Franklin. I don't see you supporting Dino Babers. For all the people attacking, all oh, they're going after Dino. Where's your support for Dino Babers? He's a black head coach that's been winning. Uh, you you never support him. So I don't want to hear it, man. It ain't got nothing to do with that black versus white. It's just people that's not football, college football fan. They Dion sycophants, and that's all they know is Dion. And if you say Roy anything in, wrong against Dion, you racist. Roy in Portland, bring in the heat. Do you agree with him at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five? I had to point out to people who are saying Dan Lanning ran up the score that you know he put Ty Thompson, his backup quarterback, in the game. Oregon stopped going for it, started just running the football in the third quarter. And, oh, by the way, this is an Oregon team that put 81 on Portland State, put 50-plus on Hawaii, and one on the road at Texas Tech. Is it possible that they're just very, they're just really good? Is that a possibility? Let's go to Mark, Mark in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Hey, I, I want to commend Roy for not mentioning Mike after all the thrashing Mike did. Roy, Roy nailed this game, John. It's, the Colorado is a, was a good story. They won a couple out-of-conference games, but you know the, they're in the lower tier of the Pac-12. We pretty much knew that, and I think, I think this first conference game kind of showed us that. But, I mean, I don't see how they're going to beat Oregon State, Washington State, uh, of course, USC. Uh, they won't beat Utah. They, they won't beat Washington. Utah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I yeah. think they're going to be. I'm predicting three and six or four and five. But um, to 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 insinuate that's what we call race baiting. That's just ridiculous. There's we're we're watching these two teams play. Both teams are loaded with superstar African American talent on both sides of the ball. So to say it has anything to do with race, he he risked himself with that speech. He said it before the game. What if they would have lost? Would they be talking about race if Colorado beat us? And it just it's frustrating because it really it was a great speech. Like Roy said, I, as a Duck fan my whole life, I I was ready to run through the TV. I was ready to you know I was ready to you know play ball myself. And I'm in my 60s, so I just want to say that Mike in Portland saying to you on your show that you you're clueless when it comes to football. As a as a guy that likes to bet on football and didn't listen to you again this week and I lost all the bets I made because I didn't think Oregon was going to cover, <laughs> but. You're, you're at 70%. To say Mike throws mud at the wall, he doesn't watch football. He doesn't watch D1 football like we do. He doesn't watch the NFL. He just he just thinks he – I don't know what it is. It's like he has a bias or something, and he just – he's in love with Dion, and he just he, – he, he tried to oversell the story, John. Yeah. It's, it's a good story, but they're not going to compete in the Pac-12, and they never did. See you later, yeah. Colorado. Good luck in the Big yeah. 12. You know, I was thinking about them in the Big 12. I think Colorado will do all right in the Big 12 conference. 
I think when it doesn't have to play USC, doesn't have to play UCLA, doesn't have to play Washington, doesn't have to play Oregon, I think Colorado, after Coach Prime gets six, seven, eight more dogs, as he calls them, and I think Colorado is going to be formidable in the Big 12 Conference. I think Utah and Colorado will dominate the Big 12 Conference. That said, I just don't see it for Colorado right now, and I think Dan Lanning knew that. And I think USC knows that this week. Although USC's defense, I think, is suspect. I do think Shador Sanders will have more success against USC than he had against Oregon. But I left Saturday's game thinking two things. I left thinking too early to anoint Colorado as a contender, clearly. That, that was decided at the end of the first quarter. Secondarily, Oregon might be scary good. And that's getting lost in this whole conversation. There's a lot of talk right now about what Saturday's game meant for Colorado, whether or not Oregon was trying to pour it on or not trying to pour it on, whether or not that speech that Dan Lanning gave was different than any other speech that's given in locker rooms across America. But not a lot of talk about how efficient, how dominant, and how complete that performance was by Oregon. I thought it was Dan Lanning's best win yet. And I thought, you know, you can go back to UCLA last season, you go to BYU last season, uh, I think after we saw him lose the Washington game at home, lose Oregon State at home, I think it was the best, most complete win, and it was the first time that I saw identity in the Oregon program. What did that Oregon team look like? It looked like an SEC team that came out and just physically imposed its will, had better players, scattered the ball around the stadium, and took care of business. It was SEC-like, and it was the first time I've seen that from a Dan Lanning team. That's everything everybody talked about when he was hired, right? And there it was on display. Don't let that get lost in Oregon's win over Colorado. Let's go to Jerry, who's on I-5. Jerry, welcome to the conversation. Thanks. Yeah, it's hard if you watch that game to not get lost, to get lost in that. That was just a complete dominant performance. You know, and if you had somebody put together a string of coach uh, pregame pep talks, just little snippets and ran 10 of them on the show to say, hey, here's what's commonly been failing. Many things by many coaches. It would be right on par. There's nothing wrong about what Dan Lanning was doing. He was firing his guys up, and he was using the best possible stuff he could do to get them fired up. And as far as the naysayers in terms of media stuff, that's classic, uh, you know, Skip Bayless and his ilk to have these shows that are basically just, you know, the, the equivalent of these uh, back-and-forth info, infotainment things that aren't even really a, a valid format. Just looking for something to be fired up about and then right. amplifying it to get the clicks, talking about getting clicks. That's what that was to me. Yeah, I agree with you there. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. What do you make of Oregon's win over Colorado? And what do you make of a fallout, the subsequent fallout in the last 48 hours? We'll get to Oregon State and the meltdown they had on the Palouse. What does it mean? They try to rebound this week against Utah. All of that's still ahead right here on the BFT. Skip Bloom was the coach of, he was an assistant coach on my freshman high school football team. Skip Bloom was a firefighter. His job was to coach linebackers. I wasn't a linebacker. But more significantly, Coach Bloom would give the pregame speech. He was the guy. He would come in, he'd get in the center of the circle, and he would tell a story. 
often it was a story of um, uh, of adversity. It was a story that uh, pitted the opposition as standing in the way of some goal we had. He reminded us of how few football games, how few opportunities we had to run around on a football field and uh, do things that uh, you can't normally do in society, knock people over, tackle people. And he made it he made it very personal. And by the end of his speech, everybody was frothing at the mouth. And then I went on to community college and played some football there, and I saw the same damn thing. I've been in some locker rooms in pregames. I've been outside some locker rooms during pregame speeches in college football. I've heard some things. Dan Lanning's speech was not any different than the speeches that are given across the country on a daily basis, the difference being we got a chance to get a peek at it. Still, though, I kind of liked what he said. I liked the way he said it, and I liked, more importantly, the way his team played afterward. Colorado was in over its head. Come on, we knew that. I told you that all week. I didn't like the 21 points. Ultimately, my pick was Oregon by 28, 26, something like that. I can't remember the pick I gave on Friday. I think it was like 40, 54. 49 something to 21 uh colorado didn't get there i i i was really more surprised with the way that oregon's defense dominated colorado's offense than anything that i saw in the game colorado can't run the ball coach prime after the game i went to the news conference it's a really interesting scene to see the colorado post-game news conference and see how many cameras the production team working on behalf of Colorado and the entity that is there to capture all that um, all that secondary footage for the documentaries and the show on Amazon Prime and everything. Like, so many people that aren't, like, working media in that room, not working for traditional media anyway, but it, they're, there for the, uh, they're there for the sound bites and the news clips. And I even thought, I don't know if you saw the news conference, Coach Prime got up and I thought he was pretty good talking about how they got beat talking about what needs to happen next, talking about what they, the adjustment they need to make. And then his SID, uh, Curtis Snyder, sort of said, last question. And then uh, Deion Sanders said, no, no, I'll take two or three more. I actually thought he wasn't, he hadn't yet given, like, a really good soundbite. And I think he knew that. I actually thought he took a couple more questions. He said, I don't have anywhere to be. But I think he took a couple more questions because he said, I've got better material. You know, uh, he's an entertainer. He's, he's a terrific interview. He's highly engaging. A lot of charisma. But his team got beat badly on Saturday. And he knew it. I want to know what you made of the game. I want to know what you make of the aftermath. 503-417-7575. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Let's go to Eugene. Michael in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Michael, go ahead. Hey, John. So this is Michael. Uh, we talk often, and this is the second game I had seen in person. You recall that we drove to Lubbock, and I talked to you before then. But that game in Lubbock, obviously Texas Tech is better than Colorado, even though we played an incomplete game. But in 20... Five years of watching the Ducks, longer, I guess. That's how old I am. Their defense looks to be on the verge of being closer to what he was hired to build, Coach Lanning. And that is an SEC harassing 
in-your-face caliber defense because Shadur may have been sacked eight times, but it reminded me, by the end of the game, he didn't even want to take the snaps. I mean, we've all been in a place where you're getting hit or you feel like you're about to get hit all day, and that's where he was. We bullied those guys almost similarly to how Georgia bullied us a year ago. That's what it felt like. Yeah, we know we're on the way, but that was impressive, and I agree with you. I think it might have been Coach Lanning's best win. We'll know more when we get in there with Washington. And, look, Washington is a great team, but the Ducks are balanced, and I think our defense is better than theirs. So if it's a shootout, I think we have a shot, especially I know Washington has a better line than Colorado. But if you can knock Penix down a few times, and I know that will be the plan. Last year they had no pressure on him in Austin, and we still should have won that game. If you can have him meet Mr. Birch and Mr. Bassa and some of these other guys and sit him down a couple times, that changes the entire complexion. I'll listen, and uh, thanks so much. You guys are the best. Yeah, I appreciate the uh, phone call. Uh, Look, I I think it's a little early to start picking a winner in the Washington-Oregon fight. And I do hear people who are looking at Washington going, they look great. But I'll caution you, I think part of the problem that we had with this Colorado game, and Larry on Twitter has got it, like, you know, a lot of this was built by television in particular, building up sort of the, um, you know, the identity and the hype around Colorado football. And I think if we really looked at Colorado objectively, and I and I tried to do that on this show, not that good against TCU, although surprising win, loved the offense, had a week two game against Nebraska. Nebraska didn't have a quarterback, kind of a one-dimensional team, struggled with Nebraska, especially in the first half, then played a Colorado State team that, that had 50 put on it by Washington State and had to go to double overtime. And so I kind of think that's where Colorado is in the hierarchy, let's pump the brakes a little bit on putting Washington into the playoff. Let's pump the brakes on trying to pick the Week 7 winner in Week 4 or Week 5. Give it a little bit of time. I think it's going to be exciting to see Oregon and Washington play, but let's see who Oregon and Washington is you know, in Week 5 before we jump to Week 7. Because I think that's part of the problem that we had with this Colorado game. And I think by we, I say the, the country. I think people expected too much from Colorado going into Autzen Stadium. And the point spread wasn't wrong, as it turned out. Oregon by 21 wasn't enough. Stephen, what did you make of the game? Yeah, maybe the point spread was wrong. It should have been more there, John. But no, you're you're right on this. And uh, it, it seems to be, you know, the national media, They they really... And it, it's funny because you know I we work in radio and I listen to a lot of radio, especially when I'm here, get ready for the show. And a lot of times you can tell that these people don't watch college football and they like Deion Sanders, and so they want to build him up and they want to build up Colorado like their national title contenders. I mean, I don't know how many times I heard someone say this is a team that can be in the college football playoff. Well, no, they can't. And I was a huge Colorado supporter. Like I thought they were going to be a lot better than everyone thought they were, than the, they get above their win total. But to say that they're going to compete, no. You can't say that if you watch their your first couple games and you're objective about it. And it is disappointing that that's the way this has turned into now with the with the pregame speech of Dan Lanning because that's just what coaches do. 
and for Keyshawn Johnson to go out and say, you know what, I've never, you know, these coaches were complaining about that so much stuff got given to Oregon, the most that anyone's ever seen. No, that's just coaching. Coaches ask other coaches. They talk to other coaches. Nigel Burton, he tweeted out, he said, I think I got a call from a coach looking for info on an opponent I'd already played against every other week for 15 years at the college level. It's not rare. Like, that happens all the time for other coaches to talk to coaches. So, like, they're trying to build it into this thing of, Everybody's against Dion. Everybody against Dion. Everybody against Dion. What it's it's just not. It's the fact that Colorado's just not on Oregon's level. Oregon dominated and proved it on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I'll go back to you know something we talked about last week. That I think the play, the conference play in the Pac-12 conference is better than it's been in some time. There are five or six teams in this conference. Certainly, Washington State, after the performance at home against Oregon State over the weekend, joins that top six in my mind. I think that the top six teams in the conference are all really good. And I think the middle of the conference is better in some ways than it has been in recent years. The bottom of the conference is still not very good. I don't think Stanford's very good. I don't think Arizona State's very good. I think they're one-dimensional. They can they can move the ball a little bit, it looks like, if they play against a bad defense. But I think there's going to be some easy wins to be had at the top of the conference. The question becomes, in Week 7, when Oregon's playing Washington, and down the stretch, when Washington has to play Oregon State, Utah, and USC in back-to-back-to-back games, you know, what happens then? And who's, you know, who's healthy? All of that is still going to be in front of this conference. But I, I still will argue that this is one of the best years, maybe the best year of Pac-12 football that I have seen from, you know, one through five or six in this conference on a given day. I think there's, there's just going to be great games. And we get a great one on Friday when Utah goes to Research Stadium in Corvallis against an Oregon State team that's trying to figure out, you know, is DJ Uyunglele the quarterback? Or, or will they go to Aiden Childs at some point? Or what happened to Oregon State, and it's particularly Oregon State's defense, on the Palouse against Cam Ward? And, oh, by the way, is Utah going to try to go to Research Stadium and try to win a 10-7 game? Like, I don't, there, it's going to be a great game. We're going to get those great matchups week to week to week. That's not, like, Colorado-USC is not the best game in the conference this week. It's not the second or third or fourth best game. USC is going to boat race Colorado. They're going to beat them bad. And then the conversation right around week seven will pivot to all of these great matchups that we're going to see. And right now, I don't blame people for thinking Washington is a playoff team, but I need to see Washington play against one of the top five or six teams in the conference before I can anoint them as a possible playoff team. Same goes for Oregon. Same goes for USC. Oregon State's going to get a taste of it this Friday in a Friday night game at Reeser Stadium. But I'm really excited to see what happens. I want more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. We'll talk about drunken NFL fans. Why are people fighting at NFL stadiums? I'm so sick of seeing this. We'll talk about that plus the quarterback conundrum that Jonathan Smith may face. If DJ doesn't get better, doesn't look more comfortable, he may have to make a decision. Leave it here. I'm going to say this up front. The problem for Oregon State on Saturday was not DJ Uyunglele, or rather the primary problem wasn't quarterback play for Oregon State. They couldn't stop Cameron Ward. They had some defensive problems. That said, um, I don't blame you. If you're among the crowd out there watching DJ sort of mechanically and slowly working through his progressions, 
um, you know, unable to sort of elevate his team on a uh, an important stage. It, he did not take over that game. Cameron Ward did. He didn't look capable of taking over that kind of game. So my question to you is how long before Jonathan Smith puts Aiden Childs on the field for a series or two in the first half of a meaningful game? Does it come on Friday? Well, it turns out Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, was asked just that uh, by uh, media today in his Monday news conference. Here's his answer. We're always discussing, uh, and this is for every position, of like, you know, the rotations and how guys are developing, coming along. And so we're discussing. Again, DJ's started quarterback, did some good things in the game, got us back into the game a couple of drives. Um, could he play better? 100%. Uh, we need to protect him. We need to make some plays on the ball. Um and then, yeah, he's got a couple throws in there that he he needs to make. So, yes, and DJ's start. DJ will start. I would like to see a little Aiden Childs. Am I the only one putting my hand up? I'd like to see him in the first half. I'd like it. it doesn't have he doesn't have to split even time, but I'd like to see Aiden Aiden Childs get some snaps against Utah in the first half. Change of pace, guy, maybe. Bring him in, let him play the sec- whole second quarter. I don't know. But I I think, I suspect that Aiden Childs ends the season as the quarterback at Oregon State. I just, I, I don't want to give up on DJ too soon. But, Steven, you saw it too. I got a text from my dad who was watching the Oregon State game. He said, ah, uh, the quarterback, I don't know. Tell me what you saw. Yeah, I think I threw you and Judah text like, it's not DJ's fault, but he, he just does, he's not him. He's not the guy. And it's unfortunate because he has all those skills and he has great plays, individual plays that he makes, and you're like, man, not many people can do that. But you're right, he he's takes too long to read you know, to actually read the defense and then figure out where he's going with the football. Um, you know, he's not necessarily fast when he runs with the football. Like I, I he's just not explosive of an athlete and I just don't think he's ready to be like the leader of a really good team. Um, they can still win games, though, because Oregon State is very talented everywhere else, and they could run the football, and, you know, the defense struggled, and that was the reason why they lost on Saturday. It wasn't DJ's fault. It was the defense, but DJ just doesn't have he just doesn't have the juice to, you know, make plays for Oregon State, and we thought going into the season, like, last year, Ben Branson won all those games. He didn't make any plays. It's kind of the same with DJ, to be honest with you, John, and it, it's a little disappointing that it kind of feels the same. DJ can run a little bit more than Ben, but... That's about it, and you're right. I don't know if Aiden Childs is the answer. I don't know if he's better than DJ at this point, but I do feel like he's at least going to make some plays that you can't get from the quarterback position anywhere else. So I'm with you. I I hope Aiden Childs gets a possession or two against Utah. I thought it was interesting when Jonathan Smith, he said at the end there, he said, so yes, like as in Aiden Childs, We'll probably be getting a chance or two, but DJ's still the starter. you got to give him the confidence, but John, I just – I don't know, man. I don't see it with DJ right now, and it's disappointing because I thought it can't be much worse than it was last season. It kind of looked the exact same as it was last year. Interesting that I, I, you know, I ran into DJ's father, Big Dave, on the sideline before the San Diego State game, and he came up and I had talked to him. We've had him on the show and gave me a warm welcome, and you know, he said something. And as we were talking, he said, "Thank you for supporting DJ. You know, he's been through a lot." and that's in the back of my mind. Like, it's not my job to come here and, like, support a player. Like, I actually uh, do think that Oregon State is the right place for DJ. And I and I still think there's a chance for him to come out of this. 
But I saw it in week one. We talked about it in week one. He was great. He was calm. But I said, he's still waiting to see guys open before he throws the ball. He's not throwing them open. He doesn't anticipate the way a comfortable quarterback anticipates a guy getting open. He's very mechanical. He waits. He, he appears to be processing, 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 thinking. They're, you know, good quarterbacks, Michael Penix Jr., Bo Nix, even Shadur Sanders he, in under incredible duress, much quicker with their decisions. And I don't want to compare him unfairly to those quarterbacks because you're talking about three guys that – presumably could be first-round draft picks or second-round draft picks or however high they go. Those are guys that could play in the NFL. I think DJ is still thinking and not playing. He's reacting and thinking, and he's not just um, you know loose and comfortable. He doesn't look comfortable to but, me. But to that point, John, think about the other quarterback on the other side, Cameron Ward. He's not in that top three quarterbacks either, but he looks unbelievably comfortable and making plays everywhere on the field. And I think of this, how you talk about how good the Pac-12 is. You need a quarterback that can make plays. I just don't see those plays that DJ can make. They're going to win games, but I don't know that they can compete for a Pac-12 championship with DJ as their quarterback. I think they've got to make a change at some point, or they have to bring Aiden Childs in and at least see what he can do against a decent or better Utah defense that is coming to to Reeser Stadium on Friday for a Friday night game. I would like to see Aiden Childs in the first half. I don't care if it's one series, two series. I would just like to see him play a meaningful series so we can see against a good defense what he looks like at this stage as a true freshman, 18 years old, uh, playing in contrast to DJ, the transfer, who's been some places and seen some things. Do I think DJ could get better? Yes. Do I think Oregon State can have a nice season with DJ at quarterback? Yes. But I agree with you, Stephen. If they're going to compete for a championship, it either needs to be a miraculous evolution by DJ or they need to get to Aiden Childs and get him ready. It's, I don't know if Utah's the right game to do that, but I'd like to see him a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Is Utah the right game? We saw what they did to Dante Moore, first play of the game, pick six. Like Dante Moore did not look comfortable. And, you know, He was a higher-caliber freshman coming in than even Aiden Childs. I know it's going to be a Reese's Stadium, but you know that a Friday night with all eyes are on you at Reese's Stadium, that may not be the right game, John. I mean, I, I would question that yeah. a little bit. Give me a series, though. Let me see him. I just want, you know, change of pace series. He's a, he's a different runner. He's a different passer. Give the defense a different look. You know, show me a series. And if he plays well in a series, give him another one. Like, I just, you know, give DJ a chance to, to be on the sideline and see one series. The, the thing I don't want to do, though, and we talked about this, and I'm going to talk about this with Greg Biggins, the national recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports. He was around DJ when DJ got recruited. And you may remember, Biggins came on this show in the spring, and he said the last thing DJ needs is to be looking over his shoulder. I'm going to ask him, would that be detrimental to DJ if Aiden Childs got a series? Does Biggins think that, you know, does it wreck his confidence if you bring that kid in because now all of a sudden he's going, oh, great, here I go, here's another Clemson situation. But So I think Jonathan Smith handles the news conference correctly today where he says, no, he's my starter, he remains my starter. But I'm really eager to see what happens in – what happens next uh, for Oregon State and DJ Uingalele? And it doesn't get easier. They're they're at home, yes, but Utah's defense is real. It's legit. And, you know, will we see Cam Ward 
at some point this season from Utah, they just keep winning games without him. And that defense is good enough to not make it matter. It's kind of scary to see that. And to Washington State fans who have been waiting on bated breath for me to say anything nice about the Cougars this season, like, look out. Like, that was a validating win for Jake Dickert. I still think Oregon State and Washington State need to do a better job of telling their own story and shaping the narrative nationally. They need to go out. They need to hire some consulting firms. They need to hire some data analyst firms. They need, a, they need to change the conversation when it comes to Washington State and Oregon State. And Lee Corso, you know, bless him. He's had a stroke. He's 88 years old. He's on, you know, college game day, giving his prediction. He's trying to make a joke. Probably some producer wrote on a piece of paper and stuck in front of him, you know, the left behind bowl or the nobody wants us bowl or the nobody watches bowl. I don't know what he said. I still don't know what he said. I still think it was a bad look by ESPN to be saying, hey, you know, the nobody watches bowl or the nobody wants us bowl. I don't care what joke it was. It's still a bad joke. But I don't want to beat up too much on Lee Corso for doing that because I think, you know, he's, he's just looking down at the piece of paper in front of him. And he's re, you know, it's probably a bigger indictment of the fact that they have him making that joke than the joke itself. Like I, whoever's the producer of that show, ought to take a step back and think about, like, hey, do I really want to be putting that in front of the 88-year-old Lee Corso and making him the voice of Oregon State, Washington State? Nobody's watching. But I think that that's the it's the wrong thing if we're focused on Lee Corso. The bigger thing is the message, the narrative, the story that's being told in Pullman and Corvallis. Yes, The Little Engine That Could Thing, it's a good book, right? It's a good book. It's a good story about underdogs. But for Oregon State, Washington State, your brand is good enough to be validated as a Power 5 conference team. You're both ranked. You're 7-1 and one combined. The messaging needs to shift to we're good. This is a travesty. We got left out. This is ridiculous. We'll play anybody, anywhere, anytime to prove it. And that is the message. And they need data, and they need to they need a, they need to fashion a story, and they need outside help to do that. We're going to talk recruiting. How much was Oregon's win over Colorado worth in the eyes of 17-year-old recruits across the country? And what's going on with DJ Uyunglele? Greg Biggins, 24/7 Sports, knows all of those things, and he's next. Friday's show will be live from Racer Stadium in front of Oregon State, Washington State. Be there on the scene. At Racer Stadium, excuse me, Oregon State, Utah. What am I talking about? Oregon State, Utah, Friday. Got Washington State on my brain. Washington State's marketing is winning. We're going to pivot now to Punch It Audio, the best sound from all around. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Let's start with Richard Jefferson. He's talking about Damian Lillard and the Blazers. A lot of noise out there, a lot of smoke out there about Lillard and Toronto. Are the Raptors a real player for Lillard? Here's Richard Jefferson. Punch it. You know what I hear? I hear best and final offers are ready. 
Best and final offers. October 6th, everybody was talking about Miami. Everybody was talking about all these different teams. Well, Toronto jumped in. And if you know Masai, and if you know what happened with Kawhi, and how this man will go all in and build out a team, you know that that's a real threat. They convinced, they convinced Kawhi to come there and play and go all in and win a championship. Maybe he believes he can convince Dame Lillard also. So, for me, I think this is an alert more than it is to Toronto. I think this is the Toronto thing is one thing. I think this is alert to every single team that the Blazers aren't playing. Give us your best and final. Well, I agree with Richard Jefferson on one point. I think there's an alert that has been sent out. I think this is part of a negotiation. I think the Blazers have found somebody willing to talk publicly about the fact that they're interested in Damian Lillard. Will they get a better deal out of the Heat because of it or someone else? Well, the market won't lie. What is Lillard worth ultimately? I keep coming back to that. What is he worth? Blazers Media Day coming up October 2nd. Blazers aren't allowing media to have one-on-one interviews. They're going to have the coach, Chauncey Billups, GM, Joe Cronin, and the team president, Dwayne Hankins, all joining but they are not going to have players do one-on-one interviews. I find that to be very interesting. How awkward is it going to be if uh, Dame is there? Does Dame show up at Media Day if he's still on the Blazers? I think they can't have him there. he shows up. He's got to show up because they do all the picture-taking. All the, Like, if he's going to be part of the team and, you know, they don't trade him, he's got to have his picture taken, you're, doesn't he? You're on my side now, right now, John. Like, I've changed fully. They need to get him out by media day and by training yeah. camp. They got, it's too big of a distraction at this point. <laughs> you say that, but it's like, you know, you've got an asset. All right, he, you know, here's the problem. You've got an asset in Damian Lillard that is a, he's a nice player, right? He's an all-star player problem is his contract starts to escalate and push towards 60 million dollars in a year or two and even this year so you have an asset that's an eroding asset so it's not like everybody in the league is in the market for Damian Lillard and then you have to eliminate teams that would find him a redundancy on their roster Golden State for example probably not in the market for Damian Lillard unless they do something with their roster right something dramatic so you start to eliminate, okay, you gotta, you got to be a team that has contention and trying to win big in the next two seasons as a uh, priority. So I want you to think about who those teams are, Stephen. Okay. And you gotta, then you got to eliminate teams that have a redundancy at his position. Then you got to eliminate teams that simply look at their payroll and go, we can't take on more salary and we'd have to give up major assets. They're just not willing to play. And in the end, now you're left too with what? How many teams? Like maybe three or four teams, and then yeah, and there, then, there's like four in my mind. I think you could throw Philly, Boston, Toronto, Miami in the in that mix because I I do think that if he goes to any of those teams, you could argue that those teams are towards the top of the Eastern Conference. And that's why I want to believe Toronto is a real thing. Everything I have heard, John, it's a real thing. Toronto's a real contender for Dame, but it's hard to say. Like, that's a lot of money to, you know, guarantee a guy who's going to be 36 years old and you know, who his game is a lot of predicated on explosiveness. Is he going to be as explosive at 36? Just he's not going to be. So it's a lot of money you got to you know guarantee that guy. And I, I want to believe it's Toronto. 
I don't want to see Miami now, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I want to believe it, John, but they got to get him out of here. The distraction's too big. Just get, he's get not. Out. I can't. I I gotta think he's not wild about the thought of playing outside of the United States. I agree, but you but Masai Ujiri's made that risk before, and he went out and got Kawhi Leonard, won a championship. I'm just saying, if he doesn't think, have a choice. He has four I years think, on his contract. I know he doesn't have a choice, and that's where I think he got. He he needs to get to media day, because I think if he if uh, and here's the other thing. In order for this to happen, in order for him to end up in Toronto, the Blazers actually have to pull the trigger on the deal. And I kind of think it's their M.O. to sit and wait and see all the cards and see what everybody's holding before they make a move. And I think they are going to wait. And so I do. I think he's got to show up or he risks having to give back some of the money. I do think there is a possibility that this Toronto thing is Portland. Because the other reports are that Portland hasn't reached out to Miami. I could see Portland getting the deal from Toronto and then going to Miami and say, you got to up your assets because we're getting this from Toronto. If you can, Dame's yours. And I could see that happening 100%. I am forecasting. It's not what I want. It's not what I would wish for Dame. It's not what I would wish for Blazer fans. But I am feeling more and more like he will be a Blazer for game one of the upcoming season. Oh, man. And I don't want that. I'm kind of I'm on your team here, Stephen, but I know I know <laughs> the players involved, and I'm telling you this is how. Look at the lease negotiations, City of Portland and the Blazers. The Blazers just leveraged the crap out of them, and they make them wait, and they prey on their fear, and they just leave them in limbo, and you know they're going to do the same thing with Lillard. We talked about the Jets being a you know a, yes. a clown organization. This is it's a yeah. circus. It's a circus. It's, this is not the mark of a good business or a good sports franchise. No, good sports franchise would pivot, make the move, leave it in the rearview mirror, move forward. But Trailblazers Inc. Deion Sanders. He became the subject of a lot of talk after Oregon beat Colorado on Saturday. Dan Landing in the middle of that as well. But Keyshawn Johnson said this on first take. And I want to play this because Deion Sanders responded to it. Here's Keyshawn. So I spoke to somebody in the coaching fraternity right after the game. And they know some people that coach at Oregon. And they was telling me, they said, man, I've never heard from another assistant coach of how much information was being given to that staff uh-huh. about no I'm just I'm yeah. being real with it yeah. about game planning against Colorado right. so they can beat them. Everybody that everybody was stacked they was stacking. That, that, that's the reality of it. I ain't making this up. No. I ain't gonna disclose no names, but y'all know who I'm talking about if you watch it. Keyshawn Johnson speaking, Deion Sanders responding. Keyshawn Johnson went on and said that there may have been some coaches who released some information about your team to Oregon. That's, that's was, was that Was that something that maybe you were alluding to after the game when you said no, that, no, coach, no, that teams are trying to beat you? and not No, you? no, I was alluding to what I said. I was honest about what I said. Uh, no, that happens every week. That's not just uh, from Oregon game. That's, that's life. And uh, I want our coaches to understand that we're not just playing against a team. We're playing against all of college football. 
it ain't too many people lined up to see us dominant to see us win and they got to understand that as a whole and our entire staff has to understand you're not just participating against that per se school we call for information as well so this is not a one uh, stop type of thing but uh, i know Keyshawn alluded to the gentleman saying that they have a plethora of calls trying to assist which is understandable ain't no that 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 don't make it no tougher no no easier we understand that's what we're up against the coaches will tell you this happens all the time utah's calling around trying to get information on oregon state oregon state's calling around trying to get information on utah in front of friday's game calling you know coaches who are assistants at ucla played utah last week oregon state assistants going hey what did you learn what can you tell me you know they're going to get info they're going to get intel what happened personnel wise what did they see what worked you know they're going to see it on film too but i they have these conversations this is not unusual i i i feel like with between taylor swift and colorado we've got people who are new to the conversation that are coming in trying to say well this is well they're giving information oh they're getting help over here whoever heard of travis kelsey you know People who are new to the conversation are suddenly involved. Cardinals quarterback Josh Dobbs was looking for his jersey in the Cardinals team shop. Can't even buy his jersey. Here he is. Punch it. Yo, Josh Dobbs here. All right, I'm in the team store for the Cardinals trying to get a jersey for my fans. Check this out. So I walk over here to get a jersey made, boom, adult, then I go large, next, then I go select from roster, okay, next, and guess what, your boy is nowhere to be found, you got all the numbers and no number nine. Like, yo, I know I just got here, but at least, come on, we can at least have the custom jersey ready for me. Help your boy out. You just got to win over the Cowboys for crying out loud. Well, they, they eventually found his jersey. How did they do it, Stephen? Well, uh, apparently the Cardinals heard that video, and uh, they made it okay by uh, having having more jerseys of Josh Dobbs in the store. This was Josh Dobbs uh, updated getting the jersey. Yo, all right, quick update, quick update. Guess what? The Cardinals, they got your boy right. We are officially live in the team shop. Don't take it easy on the Cardinals. I just got here a month ago, but we're official. Let's get it. I guess that's what happens when you beat the Cowboys. You uh, you get a jersey. <laughs> By the way, according to uh, Fanatics, Travis Kelsey's jersey became one of the top five selling NFL players on Sunday. He got a 400% spike in sales. <laughs> I, I got <laughs> I mean, Anna was saying PR stunt yesterday. Maybe it was, John. Maybe this is a PR stunt for Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. Good for both of them. She doesn't need that. He doesn't need that. Does he? Get 400% higher sells. Uh, does he get a cut of that? Doesn't he? I, I, I don't know. I guess. I don't know. His social media followers went up 300,000 in the wake of the game. He had 69 receiving yards. He got 300,000 followers. Jordan Birch, Oregon defensive lineman, talking about sacks. How do they come? Yeah, everybody I talk to about, like, uh, getting sacks, they always say they come in bunches. So, you know, 
when you get that first one, you actually have like a feeling of where you should be at certain times for the second one. Um, I feel like they just, you know, they'll repeat game after game. Sacks coming bunches. He, Oregon's got Stanford this weekend. He's he was big on more. Saturday. Yeah. How important is that guy to the Ducks defense going forward? Especially He's against here. a team like Washington. I, I, I would actually argue. Like, you can make a case that Troy Franklin's great, Bucky Irving's great. Bo Nix is the MVP of Oregon's team. That's clear. But apologies to all the Oregon offensive linemen. The most val- next most valuable player after Bo Nix might be Jordan Birch. Might be. He's got tree trunks for calves. He's the big body that they need. They got to keep him healthy. They got to keep him in the lineup because he makes everybody better. Just like Bo Nix, he makes everybody better. I played this earlier, but I want to play it again because I I have it in a different light now. Pat McAfee talking about Oregon's victory and Dan Lanning's speech. Punch it. I appreciate a coach using anything Uh for motivation to galvanize and rally a group. And have you seen the stuff coming out of Oregon post this Colorado game about Dan Lanning, the more messages that we're seeing from team meetings leading up to that game, Mm -hmm. let alone the pregame speech, and then what Colorado was doing on the field beforehand? I don't think I saw the entire documentary from well-off media, Deion Sanders Jr., who makes an appearance in Oregon's thing. Mm -hmm. Oregon made sure to get a shot of Deion Sanders Jr. and put him in that video. Shiloh Sanders is telling this Oregon team, I'm going to beat the shit out of all y'all and your coach. I'm going to fight all. He basically said, I will beat every one of you up and then your coach straight to him. And then he's yelling at him again. And then somebody said, I like to report a murder of a ducks that are happening. And then there's some white doing this yep. all over yeah. the O. And then Coach Lanning says, does that O mean anything to you? Like everything that Colorado was able to use the first two weeks mm-hmm. with the offensive coordinator at TCU, was formerly at Ohio or Florida State, didn't give Shador the time of day. Then Matt Rule in Nebraska stepping on uh, the buff. And then what Matt Rule said about the team. Like everything that they used the first two weeks going against uh, without their best player on both sides of the ball Travis Hunter going against the best team that they've certainly faced this season they just gave them everything that they potentially needed and boy that win had to feel good for the Oregon Ducks yeah. I couldn't even imagine how Dan Lanning felt after that smoking his cigar yeah. in that locker room going this is how it's supposed to work that's how it's supposed to work Oregon got a lot of attention it amplified said attention uh, over the weekend and into this week by having its social media team put out the video that kind of showed the other guys, the Colorado players, talking trash on the field, whatnot. I think Oregon just had a win on Saturday, and they found a way to kind of exp- you know, extend the life cycle, extend the news cycle, so to speak. Uh, Dan Lanning talked about his defense. This is in his Monday night press conference. Punch it. Like I said, I thought uh... – our coaches showed really good patience, right, of when to take, um, you know, take advantage of opportunities, when to, uh, you know, take risks. But on the same note, we were able to get a lot of things done with just rushing coverage and not feel like we had to um, throw everything at them to have success. We, you know, we felt like we had an identity of who they were and what they had to do to be successful. Uh, and we felt like we took away their strength, right? We wanted to be able to get at um, their quarterback. Our defensive line did that, and we covered well in the back end, which allows you uh, to get a good rush up front. So was was proud of that. Dan Lanning in Oregon got the defensive pressure, made everything easier, made life hell for Shador Sanders, I am sure. Make your secondary better, make your linebackers better. But 
I, I keep thinking about Colorado. You know, does it surprise you, Stephen, that they just had no ability to run the football? They have not shown any interest or any skill this season as it pertains to running the ball. And Deion Sanders in his post game even talked about that. You know, on Saturday he said in the post game, you know, everybody knows we're not going to run the ball. That it makes it so hard when you are one dimensional. Yeah, it does. It makes it really hard, but. I'm not surprised, especially against Oregon, it, it didn't work because we've seen the first three weeks that they just, they just can't do it yet with that offensive line. I was a little shocked that their offense didn't move the ball up and down the field a little bit. I, I thought their offense was going to have some type of wrinkle and Shador was going to get the ball out of his hands real quick and they were going to go up and down the field a couple different times and score you know, a couple touchdowns and get it up to about 21 points. Like I really thought that was going to happen, and it didn't. Um, so I was, I was a little more shocked at that, and, and I give the coaches on the Oregon credit for having that game plan because that Colorado offense, you know, for being one dimensional, they still were putting up a lot of points, even against teams who aren't great. But, you know, Nebraska has a solid defense. I would, I would argue that. So I, I'm, I wasn't shocked they couldn't run against Oregon, but I was shocked they couldn't pass against Oregon. Like Oregon had them on lockdown the entire game. And that, you know, I got to give Tosh and Poy some credit on that one. You yes. know, we, we questioned that going yep. into the game, John. I think he passed with flying colors. I uh, asked for him to come on this week uh, because I wanted to give him that credit. And I think, you know, I had wondered, is he a coordinator or is he just a recruiter? And I don't know. It may prove that Colorado doesn't do much of anything against the top five or six teams in the Pac-12. And, you know, maybe we look back on that win by Oregon and we go, hey, everybody did that to Colorado in the end. You know, nobody's saying, hey, uh, you know, USC did a number on Stanford. You know, like yeah. we'll wait. Let's wait and see. But right now, it looks like a really good win and a, and a great performance by the defense. Yeah, I mean, I think we're all going to learn. It's that Washington game coming up, right? Like if they play better than that, that's when you give them credit. But I think for right now, you know, if you have to give out grades, I think you give out Tosh Lapoy a, 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 a definitely a passing grade for that Colorado game because that offense of Colorado was one of the best in the nation going into uh, going into Saturday. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, is going to be joining us next. Later in the show, Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, will be with us. Tomorrow, Kyle Whittingham, Utah's coach. So much more ahead. Leave it here. Portland State got after it over the weekend. How about the Vikings? Portland State football team uh, with a 59-21 win over Cal Poly in Big Sky play. I saw that one coming. I talked to people about that. I think I said it on this show. I thought Portland State would beat Cal Poly. Uh, coming up uh, this uh, weekend, they go to Montana State. Here to talk about it, Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach. Congrats on the win. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having us, Sean. How you doing? Really good first half. You feeling good at halftime? Yeah. You know, I, I like how we played. I uh, And honestly, I pulled everybody in the second half to make sure we got to the next one. You know, not right away, but... Um, I, I counted, you know, I use my fingers. Uh, luckily, I don't have all the cameras they have in the, down there in the Oregon-Colorado gigs. So I can count on my fingers, you know, to make sure how many scores were up. And then I pulled the troops, and here we go. But, no, I like how we won. If it would have been 59 to, you know, 52, I'd have been sitting there going, oh, here we go. But I like I like how we won the game. What At what point of the game... Did you feel, hey, we've got it today? We've got things cooking. We got some things we can do. Is it pretty? Is it first quarter? Is it halftime? At what point do you sort of go? We have some things we can exploit. 
different gauges. Um, that one right in the first quarter. Um, run game was the first thing I checked. You know, special teams jumped ahead of the run game this time. We returned to kick, you know, uh, right away with the mighty Christian Grubb, that guy I took, we took out of UCLA. Um, he is fast, uh, like I thought. Um, so he ran for a touchdown, and from there we were able to run the ball. And, you know, they came out the first drive and scored. But after that, uh, we shut them down. It was uh, first quarter, to answer your question. First quarter, I said, all right, you know, let's, uh, let's do this. Because now you can get in the second half, John, and run, you know, fourth quarter offense, the way they keep the clock running. You know, if you're up enough, you can bury a game. I want to talk to you about Joe B. Mallory, running back, mm. kid from Gresham, Sam Barlow High School, walk-on. Um, I know him because he's worked at Camp Exceptional every summer. 11 carries, 119 yards, two touchdowns. How gratifying is that to see a kid who walked on, who bought into your program, have success? Well, here's, here's, here's the Joe B. story in, in, in a quick one. Uh, shows up, walk on, love him, you know, but we don't need any more tailbacks, but come on, uh, I love you, we'll take you. Um, goes all through scout team. We bring him up because we had injuries. We go to Eastern Washington University. They have a red turf. And uh, we played him because we were down tailbacks, and we ended up winning the game. And he ran like wildfire. I'm like, all right, this is easy. So we have a, a deal. Uh, fundraiser. I pull him up on stage. I give him a scholarship. Um, the next year, uh, I, I, he turns into, I don't know who he thought he was, Emmett Smith. You know, he starts cutting. He's, he's a big back, you know. He starts running sideways and stopping his feet. And, hey, I saw this on, you know, uh, what's that game they play? Uh, Madden, the box Madden, Madden. Madden's, yeah. I saw this on Madden 12. I'm like, you know what? You're not Madden 12. I said, you run straight ahead. You're a big back. And it kind of got on him, you know. Um, this is your role on this football team. Anyway, jump into this year, his off season. he got faster, and he is hard to tackle. He runs downhill, and he's faster than uh, a lot of them on the, because of the work he put in in the off season. And he's having a hell of a year. Um, he's fun to watch. You guys uh, this week will get a different challenge. I always look at the Montana schools, and, and I think there's the bar. It's Montana State. You're on the road. What do you see on film when you look at them? A solid, smart, um, good all around, hard to find, um, you know, uh, weaknesses. Um Across the T's and dot the I's, they're sound as far as fitting gaps. They're sound as far as a run game. They they're able to run the ball, so they're a play action game with the kid they have out. They have a quarterback that they usually run all the time, but the other guy Chambers, uh, no drop off, but they run normal. You know, more of a pound it and then throw throw it deep, and and they get it because they're running the ball so well. Uh, very sound football team. Um, and they're playing, you know, fast. They're playing with energy because uh, they're winning, and that's contagious. You, you, they got the quarterback. They brought the guy to the Big Sky Media Day, the guy that they like to run. I'm blanking on his name, but he... Malat. Big, yeah, big giant guy, isn't he? Well, both of them are. Chambers is the guy they're doing now. They're both tall, big kids. Now, but Malat looks like... Uh, like Clark Kent coming out of the phone booth, not going in, you know. 
he's got muscles on his ears. He's, he, but he's banged up right now, or, or they say he is. He got hurt in the South Dakota State game. You know, they probably had some kryptonite down there in the tin where he twisted his ankle. Or, I don't even know what happened to him. But, um, but no, they're both great-looking athletes. I'm looking at their schedule, and you mentioned South Dakota State. They also played Utah Tech and Stetson. They opened conference play with Weber State, beat them 40 to nothing. You know, you know Montana State's good. But is it a disadvantage to you guys that you had to play the payday games against Oregon and Wyoming? Or do you learn, do you get something out of that? Like, whose advantage is it that you played the games or maybe they didn't play the games? Well, uh, to glass half full, John. You know, we, uh, we're healthy. You know, they're a little banged up. So... That's a positive, you know, coming into it. Um, as far as the competition side, I don't like, you know, what I've seen compared to what they've seen. Um, you know, playing a full game with your group, is that going to hurt us? I don't know. That's why we practice and try to keep it simple and, you know, put stuff on the field the kids can execute. So I'm curious to see how we match up. They haven't seen an offense like ours. You know, they've seen more mutters, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't run into them for a couple of years, but um, we're a little different than what they've seen. Is that going to help us? I don't know. Uh, they're still damn good on defense, but we'll probably attack them in different ways other people haven't. At least try to kick a field goal on their homecoming. I don't want a goose egg, you know. And we're not staying there. We're actually not going to Bozeman, John. We're going to okay. Livingston, Montana. We're going to stay in Livingston. Because, you know, you're talking to the the travel coordinator as well. I'm assistant travel coordinator. <laughs> and the hotels there, they're charging is like four, just under 400 bucks a room. They wanted to charge 2,500 bucks for a meeting room. They wanted to charge me to park our buses. I said, Ern't. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing that. Anyway, we're in Livingston. The chop house is going to feed us. And the milkshake place, Mike's Burger Joint, just shut down So uh, yesterday for winter, so we're going to miss that. Probably the top milkshake in the state of Montana. But um, We are going to eat Chop House and go out there, and then we'll drive in, hopefully before the parade at homecoming, and see what we can do. Now, I, I want to ask you this, because Oregon beats Colorado, beats them good. You've seen that Oregon machine. You, be, you were there. Uh, they put 81 on you guys. Then, uh, you know, he goes for two on the second touchdown, and, and people go, oh, they're trying to run up the score. I said they, they went for two against Texas Tech, went for two against Portland State. Uh, what did you make of that? You know, first off, I'm not I, – I didn't see it. I'm not going to lie to you. I have that one on DVR, but I didn't – I haven't watched the game yet. I will. Um, what, what I'm guessing from that, if there's something there and it's obvious and you can get, you know, two's more than one, if you can do it and you're like 90 percentile or better, why not do it, you know? Because uh, it throws all the, you know, scoring out, or it changes as you go now. You're not up by 10. You can be up by 11 and stuff like that. But even when they score and kick a point, you're still up by one. So if it's there, why not take it? Now, also, you had some people saying that there are a bunch of coaches out to get Colorado that fed Oregon information. Give me an idea in your business, in your industry. How often do coaches call other coaches on other staffs and go, hey, what did you see this last week? Let's share some information. That happens all the time, doesn't it? 
That, that's your, yeah, that's Sunday night. I texted people yesterday on the team we're playing. Or not yesterday, the day before. Everybody does that. I mean, uh, you know who your friends are. That's one of them. But the other thing is it can save you time, you know. Um, hey, what did you guys see uh, on this team? Um, anything I need, the text I sent out to people you know, I won't throw them on. I said, hey, what do I need to know about, you know, Montana's out? So, um, <laughs> you know, I turn the film on and check it. You don't just jump in and say, hey, let's do their game plan. They beat them. Right. But in, information's power. Why not? You, you got college football Saturday. You got 12 games, 11 games this season. Try to earn another one. Why wouldn't you do everything in your power I know. to it's try just... to to win? I, I, that happens every, every day, every week. It's Sunday night. That's that's what happens on Sunday night, right? I mean, right. that's what right. everybody does. Um, I, I, I think there's something going on here because I think Taylor Swift bringing a bunch of people who don't normally watch football games into the conversation and Colorado bringing a bunch of peripheral sports fans who are just excited because it's new, it's interesting. You have... I think some people who aren't used to the ecosystem that are now offering opinions in it. And, and I think it's, it's muddy in the waters a little bit. What'd you make of Taylor Swift? She shows up at a Portland state game. Who do they play for? Oh, (laughs) what? Taylor Swift went to the chiefs game. Come on. Dating Travis Kelsey. You know this. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you don't know who Taylor Swift is. Music. No, no, no. I, don't, I haven't heard her of. practice. We we found your blind uh, spot. We found uh, your blind spot. Yeah, I know. Who the, I, I know yeah. who he is. <laughs> all right, all right. Listen, uh, all right. You mentioned being the travel coordinator. I'm interested in all the jobs that you do that people don't know about. What else are you doing that that we don't know about? Well, there's one kind of cool. You know, you asked a couple weeks ago. It helped with the idea. You know, I watch that Maui stuff, you know. Did you yeah. see all that fire stuff? Yeah, yeah um, We have some links there. So I said, I was sitting with my trainer. I said, hey, what can we do, you know? Because one of his aunties, he's got like 30 of them, but one of them runs a church over there, helps run a church in Maui. So we're, we're helping out. And they actually, they did it. It's, I think it's on the website. And you can go to our website, and if you buy a ticket through there, our last three games of the year, they're going to give $5.00. We're gonna send a check straight to that church. You know, I don't like, I don't trust. I don't know, John. When you say, "Hey, let's give to this Maui fund," I know I wanted to do something where I knew this money was going straight to that church. I no doubt nobody's taking a cut. Nobody's taking, you know, their percent out of it. This money is going to go a hundred percent to help those parishioners uh, of that church, and it's not much, you know, but it's something. It's something that can maybe help uh, some people that lost a lot over there. So, and you know, because you brought up, hey, how can we use this to sell tickets? I said, I'll find something, right. and maybe yeah. somebody wants to help out Maui's. You don't even have to come to the damn game; just buy our tickets. That helps my budget, and then we help the church. You know, and if you if you don't believe heaven waits for only those who congregate, just think of the people that just see in ears to that church. You know, you can mm-hmm. help them out too. So, um, but so ba- basically, let me let me ask you this. So, you got three home games left: Idaho State, October twenty-one; Eastern Washington, October twenty-eight; Montana, November eleventh. 
Are you saying that people can buy a ticket at GoVikes.com and five bucks goes to helping the relief effort in Maui? If you push that link, Mike, mm. they told me. You can okay. just go to go go to go bikes, but then you yeah. push I want this game, this game, this game, or all games. Yeah. And they told me if you wanna, you know, put a little more in the pan yeah. they pass around, you can do that. So you can give, you know, five fifty. You know? You can give more than just the the ticket amount, I guess. Okay. I, I haven't looked at it. They they told me it just came up or they told okay. me yesterday it's a go. So right. that, that's something, it. you know. I, I don't see it on the site, but I'll keep looking for it. Tell them to get busy. On GoBikes.com, it's not on yeah. there? I'm there. I'm not quite seeing it, but I might not. You know, I'm just looking for the first time, so may, I might hunt around. But people uh, can check it out, and you can also uh, you can also uh, just buy a ticket and go see the game. So that would be a right. good thing, too, right? Yes. Um, all right, your yes. quarterback. your quarterback's healthy. If I'm Montana State, I'm going... I can't let that guy get loose. They're going to spy on him, aren't they? They, I think that. Well, he's good friends. You know, you got to think of who knows who. I guarantee you. Back to your one of your early questions. He he coached with Craig Bull, the head coach at Wyoming. They did a great job on stopping Dante Sachery, my quarterback, run the football. So, if you can't quite understand it from film, you know, maybe that's a phone call. Maybe that's a you know, I don't think Bull text, but. Not, he probably couldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if he called Craig Bull. So the first thing I said Sunday to everybody, to the staff, I said, "Just listen. Whatever Wyoming did well against us, um, you're probably going to see again. You know, that's just how 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 it works. You know, that's not because Craig Bull hates me. It's just they're friends, and I'm not naive in the profession. So anyway, we're yeah, putting one together. We'll see what we can do over there. That's kind of how it works. All right, Bruce Barnum. I appreciate you. Good luck to you this week at Montana State, trying to go 2-0 and in the big sky. Go get them. All right. Thanks Thanks for having us, John. You bet. Bye. There he goes, Bruce Barnum. He only had one profanity. I only counted one. Stephen, did I, am I right? I had one, and it was really smooth. I mean, he, <laughs> he didn't even notice that he did it. That was the I thing. Know. I know. I just, I, I was mad at myself for not setting the over-under. It would have been under, though. Oh yeah, way, way under. It's usually two and a half. I mean, he, he went under. Yeah. I would have last week. He went under at two, so I would have probably set the line at one and a half. It still would have been under. Uh, they've got Montana State. They win that one. I think they'll draw for their last uh, their final three home games. But you can go to GoBikes.com if you want to get some tickets. You want to support the Portland State football program. Good opportunity for a family, especially or a group, or got some neighborhood kids. Take them to go see a football game. I want you to leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. Well, look, I think we've seen a couple of things that have really helped expand sort of the uh, the breadth of uh, sports coverage nationally, right? you got Taylor Swift showing up at a Chiefs game. You've got the, the hype train surrounding Colorado. I think those things are bringing sports fans into new sports fans into the conversation. And they might not be diehard sports fans, but I think it's been really funny on social media to see like the last 24 hours of people figuring out who Travis Kelsey is, who have known Taylor Swift. And the disbelief by Chiefs fans, Eagles fans, who know the Kelsey family, going, how can you possibly not know who Travis Kelsey is? And people going, well, he's not as popular as Taylor Swift. But I, I actually think it's good. It's good for sports. 
in the same way that it's good for the Pac-12, it's good for the Pac-12 that these teams are all good. It's increased ratings. Washington gets a first-place vote in the AP poll. Everybody's you know now going to pivot to this weekend and looking at USC and Colorado at 9 a.m. Saturday morning on Fox to see, like, you know, let's just see how good Colorado is. And is it two weeks in a row? Oregon got some love this week. Washington State got some love. There's a halo effect to what's going on. The Chiefs certainly enjoying that. And the NFL having brand new conversations inside the news conferences. But I think all of this, Stephen, I think this is all good. I think this is great in the same way that, like, when Tony Parker was married to, uh, you know, Eva Longoria, that she'd show up at, like, a Portland Trailblazers game and people would be buzzing. Desperate housewives are in the house, you know, all that. It It's good to grow the profile of your sports team. It's good to grow the profile of the league and the entity. I don't mind this. Like, some people are going, oh, I can't believe all these Taylor Swift fans are now paying attention to the NFL. More the merrier. Everybody in, like, more the merrier when it comes to the Pac-12, Colorado. The attention is good. 100%. And that's, the thing. I mean, you know, we all, we watch these sports and we cheer for the teams and now it's just these celebrities are doing it too, but they're regular people as well. Like they're just celebrities in movies. So like they're rooting for their boyfriends or whatever and their girlfriends and they're cheering on the team. So I'm with you. All eyes are better eyes to get, to get it onto the sports. Sports are supposed to be fun. And I, I think it adds to the funness of seeing who's in the crowd. Um, you know, cause a lot of times, you know, like that chiefs game, it's not a fun game to watch, but Taylor Swift in the crowd. Yeah. It's something we can actually look at and uh, be like, wow, that's intriguing. I don't have to watch this game anymore. I can just think about Taylor Swift at the, in the crowd watching Travis Kelsey. Are they together? What's going on there? So I'm with you. I, I, I like the drama going on. It uh, just adds more to the intrigue of, uh, for me. Maybe I'm a skeptic, but Will Farrell, Snoop Dogg on the sideline at USC football games years ago when Pete Carroll was the coach. T.O. on the sideline at Autzen Stadium. You've got Shannon Sharp showing up. You've got Lil Wayne showing up to a Colorado home football game. You've got a lot of the celebrity appearances. Do you think these are paid appearances that we're seeing these days? Or is it a partnership with somebody's agent also represents some other player? Or all these athletes and entertainers, The Rock, are they really just showing up because they're showing support? I think um, I think a lot of it is a business side, like you said. I think there's the partnerships between whether it's agents or like you know the the celebrities are friends. But um, I do think in some situations that these people do just want to be on the sidelines. You know, you, like the To thing. I don't think he's necessarily paid by Colorado to be you know go front and center to be out there running Colorado on the field with Dion. Like I think he just wants to be there because him and Dion are friends. Uh, like the Trailblazers, like they were on the sideline for the Oregon-Colorado game. I don't think they were paid probably. But, you know, I think big-time movie stars, big-time rappers, Lil Wayne, The Rock, Kevin Hart, I think those guys are probably, you know, getting compensated for some. But I, I also think it's more just like the world we live in and the, and the Instagram life. Like everyone wants to show off how good they have it. And it's like, hey, I'm on the, you know, I'm on the sidelines for this big-time college football game that 10 million people are watching, but I get to see it from the sidelines. So, you know, that's my life, and I'm going to tweet that out. And uh, you know, get advertisements from it. So I, I think it's a little bit of both, but uh, I think it just kind of depends on who who the celebrity is. It, the yeah, bigger the celebrity, the more it's going to be paid. I just don't want to. I don't want to be like skeptical of it, but I kind of got me thinking that do Oregon State and Washington State 
do they need to go on, uh, you know, go talk to some agencies about what kind of celebrities they could get to show up at their games? Do they need to pay, like, an endorsement fee? Like, you know, what's what's big enough? Well, why isn't, like, Ocho you know? Cinco going to the game on Friday? It should be. You know, yeah. it should be. Or, But, you know, but is it incumbent upon Oregon State to be like, hey, we're going to fly you in and we're going to send a car for you? Like, do they need to do that? Like, is that how you really get him there? I kind of wonder, like, you know, besides Ocho Cinco, who else would you bring in if you were Oregon State for the Friday night game, you know? That's the, that's the tough thing. Like, I mean, I, I understand why people want to go to the Oregon-Colorado game because that is, like, the biggest game all eyes are on Dion. But, like, I know Oregon State-Utah is a big game, two ranked teams, but there's just a different there's a different environment. It's Corvallis, Oregon. Like, I don't know. I don't know who you invite besides Ocho. Like, he's the obvious choice to bring in for Oregon State. I, I would love to hear who you think to bring in because I really I'm drawn to blank on who, Anna, who bring Anna in. Anna and I were driving around the other day, and I said to her, you know, I think Oregon State, and Washington State need to uh, need to hire a celebrity endorser to come in, or at least publicly kind of start banging the drum for them nationally. Like it helps when Kevin Hart or The Rock show up to your football game in your Colorado. It helps when Will Ferrell's on the sideline in your USC. People look at that stuff and go, okay, you know, that validates the program. Look, the celebrity wants to be there. This must be the place to be. Even the modern family dad for Oregon. Yes. Yeah. Phil Dunphy yes. uh, <laughs> shows up on the sideline. And, and by the way, I talked to that guy on the sideline at an Oregon game. He's not, when he's out of character, he's not that guy. It's really disarming because <laughs> you expect him to be like the character on the show. Um, but I was asking Anna, like, if you were Oregon State and Washington State, you could get a celebrity endorser who could go public and say, these two schools are getting a raw deal, they belong in a Power Five conference, and we're going to help kind of raise your profile, raise your brand. If you're going to pay somebody to tweet about you and talk about you, who would you pay? You don't have to even get him to show up. Like, could you get The Rock? Could you get Michael Strahan? Could you get Tom Brady? Could you get... You know, former athletes to be like, hey, we can all see it. Oregon State and Washington State are getting a raw deal. Tweet it out. Do you know how big a deal that would be to, like, have Tom Brady, Michael Strahan, The Rock, you know, um, Kevin Hart, all kind of banging the drum for you as celebrity endorsers, never mind that you had to pay them for the tweet? Am I out in left field? No, I don't think you're out in left field. I, I think it's more effective, though, if you can get them to the actual field. Like, a tweet is one thing, but... I, I think it's going to do more for your brand if you can get them on the field. I think a tweet like that would be you know, something from Kirk Herbstreit. Could you hire him to say, hey, Oregon State's getting a raw deal? Because I think that's going to resonate more with college football fans, where if you get a celebrity, get them on the field, get their face out there. I think that resonates with the most the, you know, the common fan. Yeah, because I'm looking at the Colorado thing, and i got to be honest. Pay attention this weekend. Who's on the sideline? i got to be honest. Like I don't know if T.O.'s showing up there out of the goodness of his heart. Or if he shares, you know, his endorsement agency is the same agency that reps Deion Sanders. I was kind of looking at who it is that represents Deion Sanders in his business interest because he's all over the all over the place. You know, he's doing KFC commercials. He's selling almonds. He's selling insurance alongside Nick Saban. You know, it, and his agent in his agency, the, the agency that handles him, handles a whole bunch of other celebrities. And I was like, oh, that's why the celebrities are showing up on the sideline the way they were, especially in week one. They were trying to create some buzz. They were trying to say, hey, this is the place to be. Look, everybody's here. And they created that. They were successful in it. Well, think about what Oregon State, Washington State might do to capture some of that. Leave it here.
I got to be honest with you. There's part of the conversation about all the celebrities around sports. You know, a lot of the celebrities are trying to suck off the uh, off the uh, limelight, the spotlight, bask in the glow, so to speak. Anna's in the studio. You don't like me saying suck off the... That part of it kind of got you. No, I was just waiting to see where you were going to go with <laughs> well, that. Well, you started laughing before I finished my <laughs> well, sentence. Because everybody else in their head probably was filling in the blank with something you couldn't say. So I was like, yeah. sitting here going, ooh, how's he going to talk himself out of this one? The fact that I can see you is not helpful. You start <laughs> my, laughing. My shoulders start quivering. Yeah. Good thing you didn't and see I me, had... John, because I did the same thing. I was like, uh... Where's it it going with this? I had to look away from her. I'm looking into the wall. Uh, Let me rephrase. (laughs) There's a certain part of the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing. Or the Rock and Kevin Hart, T.O. showing up on the sideline at the Colorado games. There's a certain part of that for the diehard sports fan. The diehard sports fan finds that talk a little bit nauseating and exhausting. Why? Why? Because it's an infiltration. It's like we already get enough of that, you know, in other aspects of life. So for the sports purist, I completely understand if they're like, keep this stuff away from my sports. The game itself should be sacred and should be the focal point. Not Swifty up in the box. Not T.O. and Kevin Hart in the rock on the sideline. Yeah, I get it. Do you though? No, but I also get I also get the celebrities trying to be part of the conversation because even just driving home right now with our nine year old, you know, we're sitting here talking about the stupid Taylor Swift Travis Kelsey thing and I was telling her how the Travis Kelsey uniforms have sold out all across the country and she's like, Why? you know, and uh and she's asking me, Do you think it's real? Do you think they're just <laughs> This is our nine-year-old. Do you our nine-year-old? Yes. yes All right. Now questions. I'm getting mad. Now I'm getting mad because if it's not real, now I got a problem because I got to talk to the nine-year-old. No, no, no. If She's... this is a publicity stunt, I have to tell her that. Well, I already covered it. I covered it in the car ride. You're in the clear because I said I don't know. I don't know if it's real or not. Uh, I actually said Dad believes that it is. Uh, the rest of the country, the jury's still out. The dad, because dads are romantic. <laughs> At heart. So, uh, yeah, we had a nice, fruitful conversation about that. Nice. Mm-hmm. Way to go. Way yeah. to go. But I, I do think, like, I, uh, you know, I'm hearing there's a danger in me talking about it from diehard fans. Oh, yeah. They're going, hey, man, we don't tune in for this, you know? And yeah, the same way, like, look, I don't want to be talking about media rights negotiations and television <laughs> ratings. I like to be talking about the football game. Yeah. You know? Who's better? Yeah. Who's going to win? But well, we got to talk about some of that other stuff. Well, there's a balance. But, um, you know, we're in the last segment, Anna, I was mentioning that uh, the actor on Modern Family. Yeah, Ty who, Burrell. Ty Burrell, who plays Phil Dunphy. Yeah. I was shocked when I talked to him at the Oregon game. It was like two years ago. Why? Because he wasn't Phil Dunphy. <laughs> he was a normal person, and I kept looking at him. Because you see so much of his acting, yes. you expect him to kind of be that guy, yeah. and then he's not. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah, I know. 
Is that how, like, when people meet you, they're like, oh, you're so much nicer than I thought you would be? Yeah, they are. They always say that. And then the other thing, I rode in an elevator one time with Sinbad. Yeah. And I kept waiting for him to tell a joke. He never did. Oh, my gosh. You know? Okay. Like, he's not, he wasn't funny. No. And I had him in studio on this show. Mm -hmm. I sat across from him and I said, you know, we shared an elevator ride and you weren't very funny. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of people like that where it's like if they're in character, they're great. You know, Will Ferrell's one of those, too, where it's like if he's in character, he's fantastic. And then but sometimes you you catch conversations with him in interviews where you're like, oh, he's actually kind of a serious guy. What's going on with that? So I'm not sure. uh, I'm not sure that I like that. I've had some comedians in studio that just flipped the switch the minute the mic was on. They were like outrageous. But you know who wasn't? Uh, Polly Shore was Polly Shore all the time. (laughs) Yeah, he was just that's just who he is. Right. And, you know, but other guys would sit there and they're kind of t- texting on their phone or they're having a conversation about sports. And all of a sudden the mic goes on and they turn into like a comedian, you know, yeah. start telling jokes. Yeah. They know. Yeah. Time to be jokey. Yeah. Well, here we go. We got the five at five. It's time for you to to give us some news. Okay. The five at five. The number one story in Anna's eyes. Uh, not in order of importance, but Colin Kaepernick wrote a letter asking the Jets to join their practice squad. How about that? Here's what I don't understand. The letter to general manager Joe Douglas of the Jets was released by rapper J. Cole on Tuesday. I don't know what that has to do with anything. Maybe I haven't researched this story well enough, but Colin Kaepernick apparently gave J. Cole, the rapper, permission to release the letter. Uh, when you said, the, when you started this story... You said he wrote a letter. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it was delivered by Pony Express and it had a wax seal on it. Like, you, you people are still writing letters? <laughs> the fact that he has to write a letter tells me that nobody's picking up the phone and they won't take his call if he tries to make the call. He just yeah. wants this to be public. He would like a tryout. He thinks mm-hmm. he's better than what the Jets got. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Like, it's been so long now. But he notes in the letter, like, uh, unlike some other veteran quarterbacks thrown into the conversation as possible options, he has not retired from the league, despite not playing since 2016. I would like to see him try it. Yeah. It's almost like when they, you know, it's almost like when they bring a fan out of the crowd, and they say kick a 33-yard field goal. Yeah. I would like to see Colin Kaepernick, after seven years of not playing, play. And if he can do it, bless him. And if he can't, then we can put this conversation to rest. Come on, Jets. Do this. Do it for Joe Namath. Number two, go. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, USC basketball coach uh, is giving an update on Bronny James. The team had their first practice, uh, but he did not attend. He has yet to resume any activities on the court since he had cardiac arrest during a workout at He's the excused. end of July. He's excused. Oh, gosh. So Andy Enfield's given a update? Yes, that guy. Um, he says that the guard is in a good place, but declined to offer any medical updates. He's just simply said that Bronny's doing very well. We can't comment on anything medically. He's going to class and doing extremely well in school, and we're really excited for him. They don't want to comment. They could comment. It's not... It would not be a HIPAA violation if they said, hey, he, you know, his, his whatever procedure was fine. They just don't want it out there. And it's probably based on his wishes. He doesn't want it out there because it potentially is nobody's business. And it could affect his possible draft stock. 
So um, I, I hope the kid plays again because it would mean that he's okay, like more than okay. But I got to be honest. Like, I don't know, Stephen, have you seen the Redeem Team documentary on uh, Netflix? Uh, yes, I have. Fantastic. Made me like LeBron more. Made me, you know, it was it was so Kobe heavy, but it it was. We watched it last night. We just had, you know, we were like, all right, let's finish this thing. We started it, and I, it left me thinking about Bronny in a, in a weird way because LeBron looked so young in that video, two thousand four, two thousand eight, and now I'm thinking, gosh, his kid and what comes next. Like, I really do hope he gets back on the court and he plays. Can you imagine how hard it is for him with all the buildup to him going to USC? All the talk. Like, it's all anybody could talk about for a few months. And then come to find out that he has this incident that was likely caused by a congenital heart defect. Like, I don't, I don't, I would love to know, like, how many players in the NBA are playing with congenital heart defects that they know about and yeah. how do you even manage that yeah lamarcus aldridge found out he had an issue as well years ago but um yep you're right get your kids screened if your kids playing uh high school sports or even middle school sports number three speaking of heart issues uh lsu women's basketball coach and our favorite fashion icon kim mulkey uh had an abrupt heart procedure over the summer Doctors accidentally found a blocked artery in her heart. She's 61. She said uh, she had originally gone to seek medical help on some other medical issue, not disclosed, uh, and they discovered that she had a coronary artery that had a nearly complete blockage, and she said she never even felt bad. So she's still kind of in shock that they found it. Uh, She ended up having two stents put into a coronary artery in June. And I think this is the most important part. She's saying, uh, if you're over 50, go get a stress test. All right. When I hit there, I'll get it. <laughs> Good for Kim Mulkey. I'm glad she's okay. I don't really like her as a coach, but she's a person. Number four. Um, well, we talked a lot about the Colorado players and how they, you know, disrespected the Oregon logo when they came to Otson on Saturday, all that stuff. Uh, New Mexico State's quarterback Uh-oh. allegedly peed on the University of New Mexico's logo. Allegedly. Did he pee or not? Well, I don't know. There's Is video. that a hard, is there a debate on this? <laughs> There's someone who looks remarkably a lot like him captured on video peeing on the logo. Not sure whether this happened before the game or after the game. They wound up winning that game, but uh, there are there's some video of him out there, and it's like just he's just standing out there. Yeah, he's just he like he's, he's in the wilderness. He's on yeah, like he's taking a nature pee, but it's on the turf with the logo. You know, I've had players, college players, tell me that they have gone to the bathroom during games. Ew. Kellen Clemens, the former Oregon quarterback, said guys go to the bathroom all the time. They just go. You don't have time to go. You're out in the field. It's between plays. They're like marathon runners. And they just go. Yeah. That's that's nice. That makes me go want to, like, log roll on a turf. Do you think, but you know, like, (laughs) i got to be honest. It makes me think, like, Kellen Clemens says he's in the stadium. There's 50,000 people. 
all looking at him. Yeah. And he's peeing. Yeah. Well, okay. maybe he's wearing black pants on. Yeah, that but day. he's he's going. You yeah. don't have like stage fright in front of people. Like you get into the urinal, there's a guy to your left, there's a guy to your right. There might be a delay. You know, there might be a moment of like, yeah, I really need to focus. Steven, you know what I'm talking about. Hundred percent. Yeah, it's uh, that's always the worst. When there's uh, a <laughs> there's only like three urinals and there's only one spot that's right in the middle. You yeah, know you're in, you know you're in for trouble there. Or even worse, there's like six people lined up behind you, and they all know you're not going. Yeah. <laughs> Why is this guy silent? So long? It's just silent. So you're just standing there. Yeah. You know, no, Kellen, no. yeah, Kellen Clemens is out there whizzing in front of fifty thousand people at Autzen Stadium. You know, no problem. I bet my just kids go, could do that though. Just go right, right here, man. <laughs> just go right here. Like you're out in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> Number five. Uh, oh, this is so cute. Tiger Woods caddies for his son Charlie as Charlie secures a spot in the Golf National Championship. Uh, it's adorable. So Charlie made an eight-foot putt on 18 to secure a victory in this boys' 14 to 15 division. Uh, Tiger said it was great. We stay in our own little world. Uh, we take it one shot at a time, and he puts me in my place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this good? Is this good? Actually, I think the kid said that. I think Charlie said Charlie that. Charlie said that? Tiger. Taking That's it one terrible. shot at a time? Now, Tiger, some of you may recall, won the Junior World Golf Championship six times. Six No pressure, times. Charlie. No pressure. But, like, I, I just love this story so much. Why? Because it's it's just adorable. It's father and son. And by the way, who better to have you like as a caddy than? I was thinking though. I'm kind of wondering if that would be good for Charlie, or maybe Dad needs to coach him and then step back and let the kid play. Is he? You know what their relationship is. Why are we upset when Michelle Wee's dad is caddying for her all the time and all over her as a kid, and then Tiger's okay? I'm just wondering. I'm just asking. Were were we upset about that? A lot of people were upset, saying it was an overbearing parent. Should let a a normal person caddy. Yeah. Tiger's not a caddy. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. Oh. Is Tiger uh, professed... uh, any love for a college football team? Stanford, will he show up for the Stanford-Oregon game on the sideline or something? Show some support for Stanford? Can Oregon State get Tiger Woods? Ever? Yeah, could they? I don't think, has Tiger ever been seen in a football game? I, I think back in the day when they were good, like the Andrew Luck era. I, really? I recall I him no, at least like, being on the bandwagon. No image of Tiger and football. There's no nothing that comes to mind. One of my, one of my uh, fond memories in covering football games was being at a Stanford-Oregon game years ago. It probably wasn't that fun for Oregon, but Marcus Mariota was playing for Oregon, and Stanford won the game. And the Stanford kids came climbing over the rail, jumping onto the field, storming the field, along with the tree. (laughs) And I turned because I could hear them coming over the rail, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I better get out of the way. And then I looked, and it was a bunch of, like, five-foot-six-inch engineers (laughs) that were running at me. And I was like, eh, I'm fine. <laughs> I just kept walking. There, uh, there, is, there is photographic evidence that Tiger has been on the sidelines for Stanford football. I'm looking at it right here. See? There you go. And I guess he's a big Raiders fan. He likes Vegas. He has a pool table with the team's logo on it. <laughs> he just likes Vegas. 
Let's be real. So I'm a Raider fan. Vegas. By the way, was that yeah amateur, that junior amateur, was that held in a cool city? Is Tiger hanging out in the cool city? Or is he there just for the golf? I have no idea. At what point does he go by Charles? Does he go by Charles Woods or is he always gonna be Charlie? Yeah, and I yeah, for somebody like Tiger's real name is Eldrick. Eldrick? Yeah. Eldrick? Wow. Yeah. So Tiger Woods is a competitor. Uh-huh. Charlie needs a nickname. Why can't he just be Charlie? Why does everybody have to have a nickname? I'm going to nickname him Concrete Charlie. <laughs> Tournament in Orlando, <laughs> Florida. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Florida. That's well, where I think he lives there. Not far from home. Um. All right. That's a good five right there. Was it? Okay. Yeah, it had some range to it. You had mm-hmm. a couple of heart stories. Yeah. The Kim Mulkey story, I don't want to sound insensitive. I find her obnoxious. Oh, well, yeah. She's obnoxious. Unless you're an LSU fan, you, you might find I'll say her it to obnoxious. her face. I also find her obnoxious, but, you know, I thought the message is good. Over 50, get a stress test. You know what's going on with your heart if you've got blockages. It's good. Kim Mulkey was in Maui. Life. We were there for the Maui Invitational. It's kind of a small high school jam, and... LSU's playing Oregon State, and, she, and her and her coaching staff are just berating the officials all first half. LSU's going to win by 40. It's obvious. And I walked by one of the Pac-12 officials at halftime and said, don't let her bully you. Well, LSU's team, I didn't know this, had walked behind. We were kind of leaving mm-hmm. the building. And Mulkey and her staff, I'm pretty sure, heard me say that. Yeah. Don't let them bully you. Mm-hmm. And, but I can't tell from her face because she's just glaring. I don't know if she's just glaring or that's her face because she just kind of has that look all the time like she's mad. Like, you know, kind of like somebody stole her Halloween decorations off her porch. She's called the authorities, you know. She's got she, reminds that look. Me, she reminds me of like a female version of Roy Williams, you know. I had to run in with Roy too one time. But, like, didn't they have kind of the same persona? I think a lot of those coaches are that way. Yeah. I just think they're just kind of high, strong, it's all serious, it's all business all the time, and they're driven in a way that is obnoxious. Like, but, But Roy, the thing that got me about Roy Williams is he's got this public persona that's like the kids... It, you know, I'm in it for the kids, K-E-Y-E-D-S, kids. <laughs> and he was recruiting a kid named Deshaun Stevenson, who was a five-star recruit out of Fresno. And uh, Deshaun ended up going straight into the first round of the NBA draft. And Deshaun had a problem because he was having a hard time qualifying with an SAT score that okay. would make him eligible as a freshman. Yeah. And Roy Williams at the time was at Kansas. Okay. But... We all knew that the world knew Roy Williams wanted to be at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I, Deshaun showed up at one of Jerry Tarkanian's basketball games. Deshaun's a high school senior. Mm-hmm. Shows up at Tark's basketball game, and I write a column going, could Tark flip him <laughs> from Kansas to Fresno State, especially if he doesn't qualify? Right. Could he go and just sit a year at Fresno State before playing? And, oh, by the way, Roy Williams... We all know a year or two he could be at North Carolina. Mm -hmm. The next day I'm at Deshaun's next high school game to kind of do a follow-up. Roy Williams shows up, flies in from Kansas, shows up in the gymnasium, sees me, and says, young man, can I have a word with you outside? (laughs) 
nice as anything. Can I yeah. have a word with you outside? Uh-huh. We go outside, and it was like literally foul-mouthed Roy Williams. Beep, 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 beep. You know, going off on me saying that since I wrote that, he had to get on a plane. He had to come see Deshaun. It was irresponsible. In it was, you know, irresponsible of you. P- other people, other papers have picked it up and just us arguing. Like, just I saw a side of Roy Williams <laughs> that probably is a side others have seen, yeah. but he doesn't dare show the public. Hmm. That all shucks, I'm in it for the kids. Roy Williams <laughs> was like, he was, you know, just foul mouthed comedian going off yeah. right like he yeah. turned into andrew dice clay yeah okay so wow at the end of it you know agree to disagree whatever goes back in the gym charms back on it wasn't like a year year and a half later he goes to carolina <laughs> you know i just was like whatever and deshaun declared for the draft and was picked in the first round by the orlando magic well there you go 16th overall so it worked out for deshaun Worked well, out for Roy. Well, maybe they're different things. Just there's no facade there. That's just who she is. She yeah. just lets it all hang out. The kids, a minute for the kids, and bleep <laughs> you. Leave it here. It's a short week this week for Oregon State. They will be at home where they have been very good. Thirteen out of fourteen. Uh, the last fourteen at at Research Stadium. Jonathan Smith here to talk about Friday night's game against Utah. He joins us. How are you, man? Yeah, doing solid. Like you say, short week and cramming a lot in, but we're looking forward to Friday for sure. Now, we normally talk on a Wednesday, but we're talking on a Tuesday because you play on a Friday. (laughs) You're a rhythm guy. Coaches are all this way. Like, when you do see that Friday coming on the schedule, and this is not the first time it's happened, like, how how does that affect you, or where do you find the extra day in the week? Right. You know, it it affects things when we try to, you know, kind of cram – two days into one at the front end of the week. And so got back from Pullman about midnight, Saturday night, and then Sunday we treated like a Monday, so quickly digesting the game, but that was really player's day off. And then Monday of this week we treated like Tuesday morning. So all the game planning for kind of normal down and distance type took place on Sunday, introduced it on Monday. We, we did tweak our practice Monday to be a little bit lighter than normal because it is short week. They, you know, they played a game less than two days before that. And then what we treated today was pretty normal. We were in pads, kind of what we normally do on a Wednesday, and then it would be about the same tomorrow practice-wise. So just cramming a lot of the game planning uh, on the front end of the week is, is different. I'm talking to people at Utah who say that they still don't know if it'll be Cam Rising this week. They thought it was going to be Rising last week. He still has not been medically cleared although he is practicing they're trying to knock the rust off how do you prep for that offense with the film you have versus okay if cam does play then you know how different is it um you know there there's some definitely similarities to what they were doing with cam last year and, and some of the plays and concepts they're running personnel groups they're running in the first four games um and you know the other piece is cam's pretty dynamic moving around, pulling the ball, extending plays. He, you know, he's a good passer, in-the-pocket decision-maker, leader, but he also is pretty athletic. So that's not totally different to, you know, what they're playing with right now. That guy can move, uh, make some throws. Um, so maybe a call or two different if Cam's in the game versus not. But overall, um, you know, you're playing, preparing for a Utah offense. 
you guys, you know, you've been really good at home. Utah's good at home. Oregon's good at home. What is it to the home field? What is it about? Because I have to think it goes beyond just you've got your crowd rooting behind you, although that's a, a part of it. Yeah, you know, the crowd makes a difference. Uh, communication, the effect of communication, uh, you know, with the, all that when you're on the field, even from the sideline, communication personnel groups or play calls, uh, it makes it more difficult. Uh, I think the home team, there is. There's a comfort level knowing, you know, the environment, locker room, travel, uh, all of that leading into making it It's definitely tougher to win on the road than, than at home. I would think, uh, all right, you're going on the road on a short week would be especially bad, like because of the logistics of the travel. Am I am I overthinking that? Uh, it's not, you know, probably not ideal. Same, I imagine they're doing something similar, cramming a lot of the preparation or just on the front end of the week, um, getting over here. And the way college football teams travel, there's a comfort. I mean, the, the flights are nice, the hotel's nice, things like that. Um, we're definitely counting on our crowd, the atmosphere being a huge advantage to for us, uh, you know, first week of school, the students completely back. Uh, we're definitely counting on a home field advantage that way. Last Saturday, you guys got a nice TV number in the game against Washington State. You probably didn't play as well as you'd hoped. When when you broke the film down, when you looked at it, area where you think you could you you could make the biggest improvement from last week to this week is where. Yeah, that's good. I mean, all three phases that comes to my mind on on ways we gotta gotta improve. I do think this overall theme is just we had some self-inflicted things that did not help our cause. I mean, we busted our eyes in coverage early in the game, gave up a 60-yard touchdown. That was that's really on us. Um, we can't execute a toss from the quarterback to the running back on third and two, and we got a I think a pretty good crease and the way it was blocked turns into fourth and eight. Uh, you know, things of that nature. I always want to say, and I want to do it here again, credit to the opponent we were playing. I did think they played really well. The quarterback played really well. The wideout making plays. I mean, there's some contested plays those guys uh, made. Um, and that's how the, I think these league games are going to be. This thing is going to be overly competitive. These games are going to be tight. we got to do make sure we're not hurting ourselves um, because it, it, it can be a difference. Yeah, I, I look at the quarterback play for Cam Ward, and you're right. It was He was a different and a better player than I remember him being a year ago. He's taken a step forward with the coordinator. How do you get your guy, DJ Uyunglele, how do you get DJ more comfortable? Yeah, we uh, want to continue to do that. Um, and, again, it comes with time, with reps, with you know getting a couple extra, uh, you know, because he's in the first year of a scheme. You know, we don't have a backlog of, of a scheme that's similar in year two. Um, I do think the run game helps them. Uh, at the same time, because we do run the ball, doesn't give them as many pass attempts to get kind of in a rhythm or or, uh, or comfortable. We've got to make a couple plays before them on the outside to boost the confidence of the passing game, and we're definitely working on all that. Any shot you'd get Aiden Childs in there a little more, or as a former quarterback, do you worry about, you know, a guy being able to play without looking over his shoulder, or how do you balance that if you want to give a change of pace? Yeah, I mean, you're, there's a lot to think about, in particular this position. At the same time, you know, we rotate at a lot of positions, right? I mean, receivers going in and out of the game, tight end, running back. 
We even sprinkled some at the old line the first few weeks, do it on defense. But you don't want to, like we're describing, that the quarterback, there's something, too, to getting into the rhythm, being out there, understanding the game, and learning from one third down to the next. Um, so it's a balancing act. There's no question that we feel uh, obviously confident with DJ as he continues to go out there. We feel we do. Aiden's a good player. He's played a little bit. And so there's considerations at every position. Uh, if there's a time and place you want to put somebody out there. Is it different with a QB, though? Because, you know, if it's a defensive tackle, you can just run a guy in there for a series and heart, you know, not a, media's not making a big deal about it. And your, your D tackle is just saying, hey, I'm getting a breather. And, but you do it with a QB, then all of a sudden you're, you're potentially messing with somebody's confidence. Well, yeah, there's no question on the media side, the attention of it. Uh, it's different. I'm not here to say it's not. I think internally on this team, you know, I think I don't think our locker room would be up and down if it were if it were to take place. But there's no question it'd get way more attention on the media side. All right. Uh, when you see Utah on film, what do you see? Yep. Uh, kind of similar. Uh, let's start defensively. I mean, physical. They know that scheme inside and out. They make you earn it. Um, can apply pressure just with a couple of guys rushing, let alone when they want to pressure heavy, six, seven guys at times. I mean, they got great pride over there, and they've been playing elite defense. I mean, you look these, you just at the numbers over the four games, let alone the film, what they've been doing to suffocate people. It's impressive. Offensively, Similar, I mean, can make it physical in the run game. Got a couple guys outside that they can run and make plays. The quarterback, I think he just continues to get better and better. He can be scary with his feet, but he's making more and more throws. I do think watching UCLA, they look pretty good on defense. Um, so that was a that was a challenge. Um, but again, Utah's not going to beat themselves, and you're going to have to flat out earn wins against these guys. Yeah, when I when I look at you know the upcoming games that you have and you know I, I look at the long view but you're trying to get your guys focused on the short view is that a challenge for a coach these days or do you think most guys have been through high school programs where they've been asked to focus week to week and is that less of a concern now you know i don't know if it goes to the high school part we definitely start this conversation early i mean august 1st of like what's immediately in front of us is what we can control and try to more and more of that message needs to sink through. It's helpful that we've got enough older guys on this team that I think they've bought into that thought that, you know, it's a long game, it's a long season. And so approaching it for this week, having some consistency in your process, I think that's what ultimately you control. You don't control the results um, and the results can't dictate your, your approach to the next, next week. And so, Consistency. This week, this is what we've got. We'll figure out what you know, what next week's opponents, um, what they look like. You look back at the end of last game. You guys closed it tight late in the game. Thought you were really aggressive. I liked that. You know, in the situation you were in, going for the touchdown there at the end to, to try to get back in it. You obviously don't want to be in that situation. But do you take away some confidence with how you guys closed the gap at the end of the game? You know, I don't know if it's confidence. Yes, I'll say it this way. There's confidence that this team is going to play to the end. They understand, yeah, we were down and down with three scores, you know, third quarter. Um, and to battle back within one score is something that, you know, we gotta, we're going to have to do that. we got to play well in the fourth quarter. Um, obviously, some things before that did not help us out. And even in the fourth quarter, we had we had chances to keep it, keep it tighter. But... Um, you learn from each week, gain some confidence, and gain some understanding of things. you got to get better. All right, I've been asking all the coaches I talk with this week, 
the same question because a bunch of was made of this by, by national media. Uh, you know, Keyshawn Johnson was talking about coaches calling, coaching friends, getting intel on teams. Bruce Barnum was on earlier today. He said that's Sunday. He calls. He wants to know what you know. What his friends who have coached against Montana State know about Montana State. How much in the fraternity do do you and other assistants, or maybe at different points of your career, do you call around on game week to go, hey, what did you learn when you played? You know, fill in the blank. Like this week, it's Utah. What did you learn when you played Utah? Right. That, that's happening, isn't it? There's no question that's happening. Um, I would Sunday evening into Monday after. Uh, you know, getting getting a little eyes on the tape, talking about calling. I mean, shooting all the way back. I can remember Brian Lingren. He's at the OC at Colorado. I'm at Washington. I'm the OC. We would talk almost weekly, uh, and off of similar opponents. And sometimes I'd watch their game to be able to have a question or two: why he liked this or why he tried that. So that's that's taking place uh, quite a bit. And I, I think it's that big a deal either. It's not like you're asking for. You're not going to implement the entire game plan. You're just saying, all right, what worked or what'd you see. Yeah, it's a jump start. I mean, it's early. I mean, they just spent a whole week doing it, preparing for the opponent. And so to get a quick, more or less, uh, cliff notes um, on what they thought about them, it's, it's a huge – it can be really, really helpful. Yeah, and so what do you think people are saying about you guys? Because you do the self-scouting. <laughs> I do. Th- I know. I do think about that because, you know, we've had <laughs> – We've had some consistency over five years schematically and, you know, what we're doing, and, and Utah's the same way and and all that. Uh, it's out there. I mean, if we're we're making a call or two, and, and I'm not saying it's every week every coach on our staff's doing it, but when you've got some trusted people that, are, you know, on the other side, there's nuggets of information that you can learn. Now, I, I'm not at practice, but I'll tell you, I've had other Pac-12 coaches ask me, hey, uh, what's who's Oregon State playing at receiver? Or so and so healthy this week? Like, you know, everybody's looking for a little angle, but they're going to find out in the pregame anyway, aren't they? I mean, they're going to look over and see if you know two is suited up. Yeah, well, you, you are, but the earlier you know, I I do think on this health, the personnel who's playing. I mean, because some of the, you know, even the recognition for the quarterback, if the starting safety is going to play or not, you know, comfort level recognizing the coverage he's going to go against, sometimes schematically, especially if he's a good player, um, would make a difference on the type of plays you're going to run or how you're going to attack one side of the ball. So there's some valuable information with that. All right, so if I could peek into Utah's practice, I'm going to guess the thing we'd want to know is, how does Cam Rising look? Does he look like he's ready? I mean, is that it, or is there is there, yeah. is there like a multitude? I mean, with, <laughs> is there a well, wish list? Cam, for sure. Yeah, that would be huge for, you know, how he looks slash his playing. But they've had a, multiple. The tight end's been out, you know, potentially yeah. he's getting closer. And Kyle's great at this stuff. He doesn't say a thing. Um, you know, he's just always oh, day-to-day. Or he's getting closer. We're anxious to get him. But you don't know uh, who's playing. Yeah. And I think, too, the thing that surprised me, because I went to their opener against Florida, and they had, like, 12 guys that weren't playing. And the thing I noticed was the drop-off from their ones to the twos wasn't that wasn't that far. And part of that is culture, yeah. and you guys are getting that, because I, I expected your defense in the early part of the year to have more troubles. And I what I took away from it was your twos were not bad last year, and you've closed yeah. that gap. Yep, all those reps for the twos, whether they're going through a redshirt year or any of it, there's some value there. I do think if your culture's at a good spot, there's a rallying cry when, you know, you got multiple guys down, guys are wanting to step up for the team, and, and Kyle's definitely 
he's had that over there for a while. All right, I'll see if I can get into Utah's practice this week. You'll hear from me later yeah. in the week. Jonathan, Jonathan yeah, Smith. Shoot, shoot me yeah. a text. <laughs> you bet. All right. All right. Thank you. I will see you Friday at the stadium. I'm going to broadcast live from Friday, so uh, three to six from your stadium, so it'll be fun to lead right into your kickoff. I appreciate you. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Thanks. All right. Take care. There he is, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. <laughs> if you can peek into practice. I have that, like, I'm not at Oregon's practice, okay? I'm doing a radio show. I'm not at Oregon State's practice, and I've had Pac-12 coaches who will reach out to me and go, hey, is so-and-so practicing this week? I'm like, I'm not at practice, and oh, by the way, that's not my role. Stay in your lane. Jonathan Smith and Oregon State uh, will have a big football game at Research Stadium on Friday. It's a Friday game, 6 o'clock kickoff. I will be live 3 to 6 p.m. on Friday with this radio show, live from the stadium. Tomorrow... Kyle Whittingham, Utah coach. I'll ask him about Cam Rising. Is he a go or no? Leave it here. I was flipping around social media, and I'm kind of seeing it the way of people who are tired of the Taylor Swift talk, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But you know how in social media these days you can find, like, a hippo attacking a human. You can find uh, Pat McAfee talking about how bad the Monday night football was on Monday night. Was the Monday night football that bad? I kind of felt like the Sunday. Before they get into the flex games where they can pick better matchups, you generally do get some stinkers. I I don't want to see the Steelers and the Raiders. I don't want to see the Rams and the Bengals for a while. You know, like, was that bad football, the the late Monday night game, Stephen, in your mind? Yeah, yeah, I don't think there was... They didn't play well. It was a close game, so that makes it intriguing. But no, they it wasn't a well played football game. I don't. I, I'm not a big fan of this of the uh, the doubleheader Monday night games. I just. I don't know. I don't. I don't know why I don't like it. I just have a problem with. It. I was talking to Jude about that. Like, I just. Why are they doing this? They needed to stop. I um. I don't like it either because it's not traditional, and it messes with me. And I and I always see the early game as the junior varsity game because I went to high school. And so I see the I see the early game is not as important, like it's the undercard, and it's really not. It's the a very important in the crowd. Yeah, you know. I but I I was watching the Rams and the uh, Bengals late, and a lot of people are upset because there was no offense in the game, and then to start the second half, Rams kick returner fair catches the ball on the twelve yard line with nobody around him. Do you think you should be able to fair catch a kickoff? Yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, I don't have a problem with it because I know what I know. The point of it is to not have kickoffs because they're trying to eliminate kickoffs in general because that's where all the injuries come from. So, yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I, I like, I, you know, they they moved back to extra point, and I think that was a good move. I, I think if they can get rid of the kickoff, I think that probably it's. It can make it look so it's uh, they care about safety, right? Whether they do or not, okay. It's the appeal of hey, we actually care. So just get rid of the kickoff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not don't have it be like. Yeah. Sometimes we'll return. Sometimes we won't. But then, just, but then some of these guys are out of jobs. Is the problem then? Because some of these guys yeah. are really good at special teams. Well, they can still do punts, punt return, punt team. You know, I don't know. I, I just I, the offenses were struggling so badly in that game last night, especially in the first half. Was it six six? And uh, and then you get the second half kickoff, and the guy fair catches the ball. Like, no, don't fair catch that. Like, 
your best offense right now is your special teams. You have a chance to advance the ball here, but I just I, that game was a bit of a snooze. I didn't think it was a great endorsement for early season football. It was funny to see kind of it end up tight at the end, end up being a closer game, especially at the end. And I think you know I saw a stat too: seventy five percent of the NFL games now in the second half uh, or in the fourth quarter, seventy five percent of the games so far this season. Uh, have one team within seven points of the other in the fourth quarter. And there's like something like six games that have gone down to the uh, final seconds uh, with teams trying to score. So they're, they're definitely trying to create some parity. But amid that, we've got some games that are have just not been that interesting, including, you know, one team got a 70-burger put on them. I mean, the Dolphins putting 70 on the Broncos, pretty damn embarrassing to see that happen and then meanwhile you got some other games that you know everything's close so i don't know i was kind of looking at the end of the game and i saw the rams you know facing a potential of being down by you know 10 points and i thought well they're certainly they'll score a touchdown and make this a three-point game and then we'll get an onside kick and you know because that's just kind of how the nfl goes i think it's good for the game but i also have been underwhelmed by some of the performances. Bengals early didn't look good, looked better in the middle in the late part of the game. Rams haven't looked good uh, at different points this season. Who do you like in the NFL? Who, who in your mind, outside of maybe the Super Niners, has just impressed you well, this I, season? I think it's the Dolphins for me. I mean, 70 points, it is what it is, but uh, I saw a stat today. The six fastest players in the NFL last week were all on the Dolphins. Like, they can, you know, they keep track of the speed. The six fastest sprint times were all in the Dolphins. So, like, this team is doing stuff that we haven't seen before. Uh, Mike McDaniel seems like he's a little mad scientist out there. You know, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay had a baby, and it's Mike McDaniel. And he's just out there drawing up plays that uh, are unguardable, pretty much. You know, with Tyreek Hill. And they didn't have Jalen Waddle last week, and they're putting up 70. So, I think right now, you know, and I said this before the year, I think if Tua stays healthy, this Dolphins team is a Super Bowl contender. I think they've proven that. Now they, you know, they're going and they play Buffalo, I believe, this week. It's going to be a fun game there, but I, I've really been impressed with Miami. I think they uh, think they got a shot. You know what they have written on them for me? They have, they're the kind of team that I think is going to play really well for about 10 or 12 weeks and then have some problems. And keep an eye, like, I keep, I'll go back, I think, you know, to my old mantra, you got to sniff around it before you break through. I think this is the sniff around it year for the Dolphins. Like, do they get to the AFC title game? Maybe. Do they get to the Super Bowl and win it? I don't see it. Like, I still think Buffalo, and I still in the NFC, I think it's the Eagles and the Niners. I think there's just a gap with the Eagles and the Niners, but we'll find out as uh, more games have been played here. I you know, I, I agree with you, though. The Dolphins just look really good on offense. They look fun. They look good. But we're three games into this, and I can't shake from my mind the, the Niners-Dolphins game from last season. And I just... I thought the Dolphins were there last season, and then I went, oh, you know, not quite on that level. So we'll keep an eye on them. I'm, I'm looking at their schedule now to see, you know, what they have coming up. But uh, they're at Buffalo this weekend. So, you know, this is where they get, I think, that opportunity to show that they belong. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, it's going to be a tough environment there. Bill's coming off a good defensive game uh, against the Commanders for, you know, whatever that means. But, you know, have a nice game there. So that should be a big game because, the, you know, the, the Bills do have that first loss to the Chiefs. So AFC East – uh, Dolphins get up two games early. That'd be big for them. And and you're right about the 49ers. Like, I they have been impressive because Brock Purdy. I, I have questions about him all the time. 
but he just keeps passing them. And, and you know, maybe it's just Kyle Shanahan drawing up the right plays, but it's hard to call him a game manager at this point, John, because he he's more of a game winner. Like he's making plays, and I think yeah. uh, it's been very impressive what I've seen out of Brock Purdy. He, he's yeah. starting to put together, like put put away my doubts that I've had. We have, he make if he makes enough plays, they're there, and then they have Sam Darnold in case they end up in the same situation that they were in a year ago. Uh, in the NFC Championship game, uh, they feel like they are locked in and their window is very narrow. Like, this is a, you know, got to win it now, got to win it next season conversation. Kansas City's going to be there. Buffalo's going to be there at the end. Miami may be there. We'll find out more about them this weekend. But I kind of feel like the Chiefs, you know, they're just so good. And we could just count on them to be in the AFC title game every year. And they just feel like, you know, they're just kind of going through the motions, scoring 41 points, uh, in, you know, in a game where, you know, I was just watching them going, my goodness, like, they are just so methodical and they put so much pressure on defenses. That, But, you know, I, I love last year that we got a little look at, you know, the potential for Jacksonville to be a team that would matter. We got a look at maybe Justin Herbert a little bit last season. Uh, we got, obviously, Joe Burrow and the Bengals. They've been good. But I, I just love to see like a team like Miami in there and, and, and part of the conversation. All right, we're back tomorrow. Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach, is on the program tomorrow, among others.